the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 281. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, everybody. We've got a big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo! We've got a great slate of guests coming in as well. We'll take it up to Capitol Hill and sit down with West Virginia representative Alex Mooney. We'll also talk with combat veteran and New York Times bestselling author Sean Parnell. President of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax, will be here. Utah senatorial candidate Mayor Trent Staggs will be joining us for the first time as well. And we're going to circle back with one of our favorite house reps who's running in the 2024 election cycle, looking to claim NC1 for her own. Miss Sandy Smith will be back for the first time in a minute. Lots of breaking news. We're going to be checking in on the tragedy that happened with the Hamas attack on Israel this weekend and try to bring you up to the minute on that. Donald Trump did speaking events in Iowa and New Hampshire over the course of the last couple days. We'll bring you the highlights from those. And we'll check in on Speaker of the House vote, Volume 2, Jordan versus Scalise versus McCarthy? Me. We'll check in on the latest there as well. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. Busy Tuesday morning here, and we're going to be getting things started up on Capitol Hill. We're going to be joined today by West Virginia's second representative, Congressman Alex Mooney. Thanks for coming back on the show and joining us. Hey, great to be with you again. Well, you guys are uh, running into a busy week here. You've got the Speaker of the House conference and vote on deck, but in addition, you're coming off the weekend where we've had probably one of the largest international tragedies, the Hamas attack on Israel that you know kind of took the, the news world and just the world in general by storm. This is a developing situation. Obviously, there are some Americans involved as well. Congressman, we'd like to get your take on, on what's going on and then how you feel Congress is getting ready to act once we get a new speaker as soon as possible. Sure. Well, I guess for, first, this attack on Israel is is a disaster. It's horrifying. It's uh, no excuse whatsoever to, that can be made for it. It's pure terrorism. We've experienced that in 9-11 attack. There are people who just want to kill you and because they don't like your religion. They don't like where you live, and they want to kill you. And we can't play nice with these people. We can't negotiate with them. We have to defeat them. And frankly, when Biden pulled out of Afghanistan— and within 13 days, the Taliban took the whole place over. The world saw weakness from the president of the United States. And then Russia invaded Ukraine. And now you have an, a Hamas attacking, uh, declaring war on Israel. And look, Israel will defend itself. They have every right to do so. Uh, uh, 390 members of Congress today have uh, co-sponsored and, and put in a bill uh, to supporting Israel, stating full enforcement of what's called the Taylor Force Act, which means no, no, taxpayer dollars of the United States will go to go to any foreign government that benefits terrorists, whether it's directly or indirectly through non nonprofit organizations and things. So um, we are, uh, you know, we are ready to assist the, the, the last 
uh, statement on this resolution says the United States stands ready to assist Israel with emergency resupply and other security, diplomatic and intelligence support. So I'd say both parties are standing with Israel right now, and we need to, uh, we need to make sure we do that going forward. Yeah, it's it's great to see the amount of uh, congressmen and women who have come out and openly supported, you know, backing Israel and continuing support of them, also condemning the horrific acts from, you know, uh, Gaza and Hamas in, in turn. But you, you mentioned 390 out of about 435, Congressman. Now, now, when you see some of the behavior of some of your fellow congressmen and women, from, especially from the other side of the aisle, I'm namely talking about members of the squad, I, I guess I saw this morning Rashida Tlaib yeah. started her week by, po- you know, hanging a Palestinian flag outside of her congressional office. What can you say to the kind of just like low class and low IQ behavior that's going on up there and how in a, in a time where the situation is still developing and there are definitely Americans who were killed in, in, in the initial attack and, and may have very well been taken hostage as well. It's just not the time to be making political statements. No, it's part of the problem. They're equivocating. They're, they're making uh, as if they call for a ceasefire. I mean, Israel's under attack. They have to defend themselves right now. You don't call for a ceasefire when someone's literally invading you and killing your your uh, you know people that live in your lands, you know, all from people all around the world, but mostly, of course, Jews in Israel. And you call for a ceasefire? Are you kidding me? They need to defend themselves. So you can't equivocate. You can't act as if the two are morally equal. One side is terrorists. One side wants to kill you because they don't like who you are. They just want to kill you. They're, I guess it's a religious belief. Uh, that they have, that they should kill people who don't agree with their version of their religion. And it's just not something you equivocate. They're murderers. They're terrorists. So you know, now's the time to support Israel and for the whole the whole world uh, to unite behind uh, Israel and their right to defend themselves, as America is going to do. I hope that number 390 goes up to 433, because there's two members not in Congress right now. So right. I hope it goes all the way up. And it will be telling, as you just noted, it will be telling who does not join this resolution which is being uh, led by the head of the head the head democrat gregory meeks the head of the foreign affairs committee in congress and the head republican mccall so this is very much a bipartisan effort and definitely one that we hope to see gain more support as you said congressman i do want to kind of switch gears and and but keep it up on capitol hill right now you know one of the biggest things that our listeners is dead set focused on is the uh, conference that you guys are going to be you know having soon to nominate debate over and hopefully get to a 217-218 threshold vote on nominating a new Speaker of the House. I think in, in a time of such urgency, there are things that take a backseat to just partisan politics or maybe uh, not disagreeing or, or agreeing with you know the actions of the eight who helped oust Kevin McCarthy. I did see over the weekend you put your full support behind Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. We love that here on the show. We think he'd make an excellent speaker and kind of wish that he had taken the gavel in January. But here we are today, you know, in, in the month of October. October and, and it, it, in such a critical time, what's the latest update you could give our listenership as you guys are getting ready to go in and, and, and hash this out and get back to work? Well, I think Congressman Jim Jordan has gained a lot of momentum recently. A lot of folks come out publicly to endorse him, including President Donald Trump uh, is strongly supporting him. It, much like Trump, you know, I think Congress needs fighters. Uh, the, the left is, is more aggressive than we've ever seen. And we need a speaker who's going to fight. Uh, and while I didn't join the effort to oust Kevin McCarthy, it did happen. And Speaker McCarthy's not seeking the position again. So we have to quickly turn to someone uh, to lead so we can get organized and deal with issues, foreign policy, but also the border and many other issues, the the wokeism and the military and everywhere. A lot of important issues. We are the only branch in Congress right now, the U.S. House of Representatives, that's run by the Republican majority. The voters want us to put a counterbalance 
on the the leftist policies from Biden and, frankly, also the U.S. Senate. So we got to get organized, and it's not going to be easy. Look, it took 20 ballot rounds and several days to get a speaker back in January because our majority is so slim. We only have a four-seat majority. It's my view we need to take this to the floor. We'll have our conference vote, go to the floor, and, uh, and you know, unite behind Jim Jordan uh, would, would be, uh, I think, where we need to go. But we'll start with a conference discussion today. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the end of it. I think this needs to go to the floor and we need to have uh, we need to have a, you know, a vote and public vote there. This is a private vote earlier today. We need a public vote. No, I, I completely agree with you. And the fact of the matter is, you know, Kevin McCarthy did a lot of speaking events throughout the weekend. He was the speaker just as, as recently as last week. So you would, of course, expect him to go and do a lot of the news cycle when something breaks about yeah, something, a story as big as what happened in Israel. But the fact of the matter is he was asked, I think, on three or four different news shows about, you know, throwing his name back in the ring. And he said, well, I'm just going to defer to the conference. I, I said I wasn't running for reelection. That's going to be up to them because it's a vote-based system. You don't really put too much weight into that as Kevin McCarthy is looking to hold up this process even even more but by kind of a you know aligning with these maybe 60 republicans who are always kevin party as they put out on social media i mean kevin i take kevin at his word he he wants the the party the conference to unite behind one of the two candidates that are running he's not running uh i guess you just you never say never in this business uh there are kevin loyalists there who i guess intend to vote for him even in conference today even though he's not a candidate and I guess there might be some one-off votes. Kevin Hearn had talked about running at one point. Um, but the two candidates are Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Yeah. And if, if if I guess there's an outside chance if we can't unite behind one of those two, that uh, another candidate might come to the forefront, whoever it might be. I, I don't think it'd be Kevin McCarthy again, but uh, there's, you know, I think there's enough, those eight, the eight folks who didn't vote for him before, I don't think they have any intention of voting for him again, nor do any Democrats. So that's one lesson here. Don't count on the Democrats. If anybody running for speaker... And become speaker is counting on Democrats to keep you a speaker or to vote you in a speaker. Uh, you are miscalculating greatly. Uh, there are no Democrats that are going to support any good conservative Republican for speaker. I don't think they'll support any Republican at all for speaker. Facts. Um, yeah, can't count on the Democrats here. This is a Republican issue. No, last thing we want to touch with you on, Congressman, because we know it's such a busy day up there on the Hill. Listen, you're also running for the Senate seat that's opening up in uh in, in West Virginia, and we want to be able to direct as much of our listenership to help you out and, and support you there. You know, you, you've been an amazing congressman representing Virginia, too, and, and we think that you taking it to the next level just adds to the help we need in the upper chamber. We we also think that, you know, in, in a time such as now where we lack leadership on, on both sides of the aisle in a lot of instances, uh, you would provide that uh, in, in teaming with some of those America First congressmen and women up there in the Senate who have been holding the line. Very small majority. Sometimes the votes are as little as five by adding to that you know, and, and helping out getting America first policies through and up to the president's desk. Yeah, well, I'm proud to have been endorsed by three U.S. senators so far, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee and Rand Paul. And proud to be a member of the Freedom Caucus my entire time in Congress. Of course, I've been endorsed by other leaders, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, and others have endorsed me as well. So uh, I'm a fighter. And uh, the last thing West Virginia needs is a liberal Republican or a Democrat U.S. senator. Uh, we deserve a conservative who will fight. And I'm the only one running that's a conservative Republican. I have a proven conservative voting record on every issue. And I'm a fighter. I've uh, been in Congress now nine years, going on 10 years, elected five times in West Virginia. And it's not easy to see where I stand. And I've never lost a Republican primary because when I contrast my conservative views 
against my liberal Republican opponent, Jim Justice, who's very liberal, really a Democrat, was elected as a Democrat, still acts like a Democrat. Uh, I'm, I'm confident the voters will pick the, the, the real deal, the real conservative. Yeah, well, that's definitely going to be something that we're going to be keeping an eye on and talking about when we have you back on the show in the future, Congressman. We're going to live link your congressional website and Senate campaign website in the show description today. For anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, Mooney4WV.com, M-O-O-N-E-Y. F-O-R-W-V for WestVirginia.com is the best place to check it out. Absolutely fantastic. You have a great rest of the day and keep fighting for us Thank up, you. up there on Capitol Thank Hill. This is the representative who's out of West Virginia too, Congressman Alex Mooney. Thanks for joining us again. The show started today. God bless. Thank you. All right, sticking in the thread of our open today, jumping right from Congressman Mooney over to the great state of Utah, where the mayor of Riverton, Utah, is joining us for the first time. He's also a Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in the same state. Very excited to sit down with Mayor Trent Staggs. Mayor, thanks for joining us and getting the show kicked off today. Yeah, thanks a lot. Great to be with you guys. Well, it's been a busy weekend, especially for, I guess you can consider it, failed U.S. foreign policy when you look at the developing situation that's going on in Israel right now. Uh, Mr. Mayor, we wanted to be able to get some of your commentary on that as we hope that, you know, after next year, you're going to be contributing to restoring American might throughout the world as a member of the U.S. Senate. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, just a complete failure of this Biden administration. I mean, that's what's been so lacking for these past almost three years is uh, strength on the world stage, America's respect, its leadership. Uh, it's been completely lacking, and it's it's just devastating for our friends and allies of, of Israel. Um, really heartbroken at all the devastation that this terrorist organization has just wreaked on, on uh, such a great country and great people. Yeah, it's, it's been a tragedy to watch and to see many of the Americans who were obviously engulfed in, in, in the attack that happened over the weekend. It's still kind of a developing situation on just how many Americans may or may not be you know, uh, have taken hostage by Hamas. But the fact of the matter, there were nearly uh, at least confirmed already nearly a dozen Americans killed in the conflict, which, you know, just goes to show when when you see some of the stuff that has, has unfolded since then, the fact that Joe Biden still had a barbecue at the White House the day after the initial attack took place. Mr. Mayor, the fact that you had people going out and defending him like Secretary Blinken saying, well, we shouldn't blame our administration for this failed foreign policy because it wasn't the $6 billion that we recently unfroze that went to this direct attack. Or John Kirby even yesterday on Fox News stating that climate change was still the Biden administration's, uh, you know, what they consider the biggest threat to the world outside of things bigger than terrorism, bigger than nuclear holocaust. What, what does that say for the leadership we have up in Washington, D.C. right now and how much of a change the American people desperately need? Oh, boy. It says we don't have any leadership in Washington right now. That's the problem. Uh, that's why I've been such a strong supporter of President Trump. Uh, we miss not only the tax cuts, uh, the, uh, the, the energy independence, energy dominance that we were headed towards under him, but also just this this national our foreign policy and you know my candidacy i've been endorsed by ambassador rick grinnell that was the national director uh, director of national intelligence under trump and also uh, cash patel who knows a thing or two about a uh, foreign policy po foreign policy in our military and uh, that's what they have told me in our conversations is that it's just completely lacking this uh, state department is uh, just wholly inept uh, and we need to bring that change. We've got to have this back in the White House, uh, President Trump, and just leading uh, again, having America lead on the world stage. 
Yeah, it's it, it's so critical. And then when you see what else is going on up like Capitol Hill, you know, you do want to touch on, just get some commentary on, because obviously you're running for a Senate seat, not as a House representative. But you see the, the House Republicans conferencing today where, you know, Jim Jordan and, and Steve Scalise are going to battle it out for the next Speaker of the House. When you saw that kind of unfolding over the course of the last couple of weeks and how the motion to vacate was able to succeed, and now where mm-hmm. we're at now and the fact that we need to get back to work and start doing the things that they promised the American people – how critical of you uh, t- uh, towards your future congressional counterparts is it appropriate to be to say, like, listen, we need to figure this out as soon as possible and we need to get back to work and get the government running efficiently again? Well, we do. Um, but we got to get it back to running efficiently again, I think is the point. And we've been operating far too long in a state of utter inefficiency. And, uh, you know, I've talked extensively with our great senator from the state, our senior senator, Mike Lee, and he has all kinds of things to, t- to say about. Uh, the topic with respect to the budget and getting back to some order and process uh, going through the 12 appropriation subcommittees and having bills with the opportunity for amendment and debate and really be able to produce a budget that is sound and substantive and get us back to a place of fiscal sanity. I mean, at $33 trillion in debt right now, it's just remarkable. It's unbelievable that we're placing that level of burden on my kids, on future and successive generations. It's immoral. It needs to stop immediately. As a mayor, I've balanced my budget for 10 years. I've always found ways to lower the cost of government and improve services. We can do it. We've got to get back to a sense of order. And if that requires us uh, to, uh, to have new leadership on the House and the Senate side, so be it. It, it needs to happen. It's been Far too long that we've had people in office that will get elected and just go along to get along and, and not getting the change that Americans have been asking for so desperately. Yeah, that's the thing right there. You know, when, when you look at the amount of people who are up in Congress and, and you know, are, are, are what we consider America first senators and the fact that they were able to operate in such a better context under President Trump and, and throughout the course of, uh, you know, his administration's Trump era policies. The number is such a small. You, you mentioned uh, Mike Lee. There's also people like Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Coach Tuberville, Marsha mm-hmm. Blackburn, uh, Rick Scott, and then, you know, J.D. Vance, of course, who's been an absolute blessing as well up there on Capitol Hill. But but when you look at the fact that there's, you know, 49 senators on the Republican side currently, and the, I just named six who usually vote for America First, how important is it for you to not only get in that race and, and be the senator who, you know, goes in after Mitt Romney leaves, but the fact that you're actually going to be working with uh, potentially President Trump in 2025 to promote more of those Trump era policies and continue Agenda 45 with Agenda 47? Oh, it's, it's incredibly important. I mean, I, I can't... <laughs> I can't uh, be be too strong on this point. I mean, it, it, we're going to have the opportunity in Utah to replace one of President Trump's greatest uh, detractors and critics with one of his greatest proponents in me. And to be able to move the agenda on Agenda 47 uh, with, with this Trump presidency is going to be remarkable. It's going to put us back in the direction we need to go. Uh, not just Utahns. Utahns recognize this for sure. I mean, we've suffered under the last five plus years five years with with Mitt Romney as our senator. And we've had all kinds of issues with respect to his voting record, but also just the, the overall lack of representation. He's rarely here in our state. Um, you know, I'm out traveling a campaign right now, talking to mayors, county commissioners. They say the same thing over and over again. Get time and representation from Senator Lee. Get nothing at all from Senator Romney or next to nothing. And so I'm ready to get back in there and represent this great state. But it's also important to all Americans 
And that's why I am so humbled. I'm honored that we've actually received donations from all 50 states. I never thought that would have happened when I announced my candidacy four months ago. We took on Mitt Romney. We took on the establishment. It's been rewarded. We've received uh, endorsements from Mark Levin, Charlie Kirk, Harmie Dillon, Rick Grinnell. Uh, you know, Carrie Lake came out to Utah just a couple of weeks ago. We did an event. Utahns and Americans are hungry for America first candidates and candidates that actually have exhibited backbone in their career and are going to push back against the establishment. That's what I've done. That's typified my 10 years in elected office in my great city and community. Yeah, I mean, I know Carrie Lakes told me that she's 100% in and running for Senate in Arizona, but she's got her official announcement coming a little bit later this afternoon. But the fact of the matter is, Mr. Mayor, man, you talk about just adding a couple more absolute fire breathers up there on Capitol Hill next year with you and Carrie Lake potentially having the opportunity to win your races, and things are looking a lot better with America First coming in strong. Now, I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, I think this is really big for our listenership. You talked about the people from across the country who have helped donate to your campaign, but why don't you give them a little perspective on how it's been so far, you getting out there on the road, meeting with the people. I mean, you talked about the lack of representation, but some of the things that are really hurting your state that maybe four or five years ago when Donald Trump was president didn't necessarily be a problem in Utah. We know for a fact, based on from a lot of people who come on our show, that they're now dumping some of the uh, illegal aliens in places in Utah. We know the economy is mm -hmm. bad, gas prices are up, you know, crime, and then the homelessness is, is expanding in some of the major cities there, in addition to to the drug epidemic. So when you're out there talking to the people, what are some of the items that they really want more focused on uh, potentially with you becoming a senator there? Oh, yeah. I mean, they at TrentStags.com, we talk about three things that I'll champion, smaller government, safer families, and stronger economy. And these are the things that folks are talking about. You know, First and foremost, it's the size, the scope, the burden of the federal government in their lives, whether it be taxes, um, this, this ridiculous spending. That's what we see. You know, And to have Mitt Romney sign for these quote-unquote infrastructure deals and just omnibus bills, they keep voting for them over and over again. There's trillions of dollars that have been spent that have been added to the debt that's caused been the impetus of this crushing inflation. I mean, a statistic just came out today in Utah that over 50% now of Utahns feel less secure today than they were 12 months ago. Wow. I mean, financially, that's a big, big deal. And so it's, it's the economy. It's, um, it's also immigration, you noted. I mean, we've got a big, big problem with that. I just, I sat down with the, the field director, uh, the Salt Lake City field office director of ICE just a week ago, last Tuesday, and he indicated that Utah had been claimed uh, kind of a, he, he designated as a de facto sanctuary state because of all of its loose policies uh, that have been going on here. And it's like, hey, we need to make sure our state isn't left of ice for crying out loud. Um, let's, let's make sure that we are enforcing uh, our, our immigration laws and getting back to a sense of order. Uh, we've got to fix that border. It is absolutely crazy what's going on. And everybody is dealing with that now, um, all 50 states. I mean, I'm seeing it impact my community as well with everything from sexual abuse uh, to, to crime, uh, criminal theft rings that are going on in my own community uh, that are largely, uh, largely done by illegal immigrants. Um, so it's the border. It's the economy, it's spending, it's getting government out of the way. Uh, so many people, and, and one issue that's somewhat unique to Utahns is public lands. Yeah. I mean, about two thirds, two thirds of our state is owned or controlled by the federal government. And it's ridiculous. I mean, we, as, as Utahns, are much better stewards and have proven to be over our lands than the federal government. 
Uh, It's just ridiculous that in these Western states, the federal government has imposed their will and controls so many resources and so much land. Uh, We've got to get them out of the way. Uh, That's why one of the committees I'd like to serve on is really the Natural Resource Committee, which encompasses public lands, and work with other Western states to get the government out of uh, so much control and ownership of these states. Oh, that's the thing. You know, one, one of the frequent guests we have on our show is former Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt. And that's one of the points that he stresses out that he really made a push for during the Trump administration and that Donald Trump pretty much said, you know what, that not only sounds America first, that actually sounds like it benefits the country. Let's let you roll with that and kind of let him get get into that whole just about how crazy it's been the centralizedness of not only, you know, uh, the components of these government agencies in Washington, D.C., but the fact that they need to be out there across the country and, and doing more of a benefit for the American people. So, Mr. Mayor, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. I mean, we're get, we got a really busy show going on, so much news breaking. And not only did you provide our listenership with some commentary, but some insight on your Senate race, which we're going to be tracking and having you back on the show throughout the course of the campaign to make sure that we can get you over the finish line. Uh, come next year, we are going to be live linking your your. Uh, campaign website in the show description today but for anyone that's not following you and wants to contribute where can they find you yeah thanks so much it's at trentstags.com s-t-a-g-g-s trentstags.com and just because mitt romney has announced he's not seeking re-election we know that he has a hand-picked successor the establishment is trying to prop up one of my opponents has all the establishment behind so we're not across the finish line yet uh it's really a race to the primary in this state and so we've got about six months to our state convention and we are hitting it hard every day can use all the support that we can get. So thank you so much. Oh, and thank you for sharing a little bit with our listenership today. This is the mayor of Riverton, Utah, and the senatorial candidate in the same state. Mr. Mayor Trent Stacks, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast and getting the show started. Thank you. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, Once the Jewish people were defenseless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivors. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilizations united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. I want to thank President Biden for his unequivocal support. I want to thank leaders across the world who are standing with Israel today. I want to thank the people and Congress of the United States of America. In fighting Hamas, Israel is not only fighting for its own people, it is fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. Israel will win this war. And when Israel wins, the entire civilized world wins. That was Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, and we're jumping into the news portion here of Steak for Breakfast. It was great opening up the show with West Virginia Representative Alex Mooney. And we're going to start taking a look at what's going on right now up to the minutely 
in Israel and on the Gaza Strip. So, no, I know you saw this kind of unfolding in real time over the weekend because we are on the uh, hashtag night crew of Walmart. Mm. And uh, as many in the press, and of course Joe Biden slept, we were able to see some of the most disturbing images that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, they kind of resembled that of which uh, when you saw the Arab Spring. Yeah, there's a lot of TVs when you're walking around that place. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird how in like the first three hours of the Hamas invasion into Israel, we saw probably more, I guess you can consider it now, war footage uh, than we've seen in the entirety of the Ukraine conflict. Yeah, war footage that's actually on what you would consider mainstream media, not just telegram channels, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's almost like... We really need you guys to get on board with this. Mm. Well, and as American interest in Ukraine continues to wane, it seems like this is going to be, and and probably deservingly so, where the military and industrial complex is going to be, you know, directing a lot of their energy. Yeah, what's going to happen is, are we going to leave Ukraine out to dry or are we going to spend twice as much money now? Well, I, I know... Russia did announce over the weekend they have made some advances, as Colonel Douglas McGregor predicted on the show last month. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems that Russia is getting ready to start a new offensive into deeper parts of Ukraine, heading towards Odessa, another place that he said that Russia would eventually claim to be theirs and, and be part of the eventual ceasefire and end of hostilities. Wait, what ceasefire? Uh, didn't didn't little sweater guy say he was never going to? Ever. Ever, yeah. until we get back to the 2014-2015 borders, <laughs> which is <laughs> laughable. Yeah. But this situation is not. You know, we saw... That like, say forever war without saying forever war. Mm. In the evening in Israel, on, on Saturday night into Sunday, we saw that Hamas, which is centralized in, in the Palestinian territories of Gaza and the West Bank, mount a large offensive into many parts of Israel. And at the same time, we saw one of the biggest intelligence failures or failure to adhere to intelligence warnings on the planet since 9-11. Yeah, with the, I hate to say it, but with the intelligence apparatus that they have going on over there for, I mean, granted it was a bunch of dudes on MacGyver fucking window fan Beach chairs. Beach chairs, but yeah. still. I don't know. Those things, I mean, those are actually pretty high tech, but still. Like, how do you not, where were these guys practicing? Well, here's the thing <laughs> also. You know, as more and more footage is starting to come out, especially those from Hamas, you saw that when the nearly 5,000 rockets were being fired into Israel, these little paragliders with fans on the back of them were flying literally right underneath the rockets that were launching making it almost impossible to detect other than with the human eye. So they were going underneath the cover of rocket fire. Yeah. And and there was a lo- there's a lot of videos that have populated online to support that. And well, I don't even know if like a paraglider or whatever the fuck that's called, would I mean, that would that even show up on some sort of radar? Is that, I mean, I think that's like with our southern border and with drug traffickers using uh, smaller drones and UAVs and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think that shows up on like an actual radar. It's like... Every movie you've ever watched, like, we're going to fly in under the radar. It's it's like a thing. And then you saw, in coordination with that, 
many drones being launched from Gaza, which disabled uh, machine gun turrets on the border wall there. Very they, have, int- they have machine gun turrets on their border wall? Yeah, very interesting to watch those videos. And and then, obviously, all of the trucks and motorcycles that would pour into Israel came after, you know, they used rockets and bombs to blow holes in the first border wall and then used those holes to drive tractors through to just drive through the more fence portion of the wall, which is the secondary wall into Israel there. And, you know, once that happened, it was a free-for-all. There was, a, you know, obviously, everybody's all, already saw and, and, and you heard... Bibi Netanyahu allude to the fact that that, I don't know, music festival for peace, a bunch of people killed there. Obviously, many of the towns and military bases along the border with Gaza were infiltrated by terrorists. Everybody saw the video circulating online all weekend of people just getting murdered in the streets and their homes, houses being burnt down, people being taken as prisoners uh, back to Gaza. And, and, you know, some of the worst stuff imaginable. It also kind of set a new standard of, of rhetoric online. There's obviously the pro-Israel, and, and unfortunately there's the pro-Palestinian factions online, but then it gets into, like, no argument is indefensible right now, according to, like, some of these accounts where, and I just want people to kind of remember here, you know, Donald Trump's policy of peace through strength happened because of some of the things that Donald Trump had done militarily. That's taking out Soleimani. That's eliminating ISIS and killing Baghdadi. Uh, that was, you know, telling places like Iran and North Korea, essentially fuck around and find out. And because we don't have that in the White House now, and even though you heard Prime Minister Netanyahu thank Joe Biden for his support, you know, the lack of military leadership and just leadership in general in the United States and, and basically throughout the West where everybody's just kind of a conglomerate of wokeness and climate appeasers, you know, it just leads to the fact that there is no peace through strength, so there has to be a force and a pushback. And, and whether or not people who don't want to see innocent civilians in Gaza get killed, at the same time, we need to remind ourselves there there is a reason why they're there. And it's not like these people are trapped there. There's nearly 40,000 people a day, much like on the U.S. southern border with Mexico, who get in their cars, drive to a border, pass through a checkpoint, and go into Israel to work and then return to Gaza at night mm-hmm. and to the West Bank at night. Yeah. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that these people choose to live there. They obviously know that Hamas has a huge presence there. And although it might not be really with as much empathy as you want to hear, they, they've, they've made their choice and therefore they're going to reap the consequences of Israel's eventual punchback, which hasn't happened yet. You know, Israel's still clearing out a lot of the initial attack sites. They're still finding bodies. We're not going to report on body counts or beheaded babies and all that. All that stuff will come out and be released by the Israeli government. I'm pretty sure at this point they want the maximum shock factor for obviously the atrocities that happened over the weekend. But it's not like they're going to be hiding death tolls or anything like that to make it look like they were in a better position than it actually unfolded out on social media because... Anyone that was tracking it from the beginning, you know, saw how just how it awful bad. It, it was, was bad. bad. It was really bad. And 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 the psychopaths here in the United States that are basically praising ISIS at yeah. this point, just because like, oh, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, yeah, but these are terrorists. Like, you're you're probably on the radar for them too. I'm just I'm just saying. And before we get into any more of the logistics of this continuously developing situation, I do want to you guys to hear the brief it was two minutes overall i got about a minute and 30 of audio of joe biden and his response sunday morning to the hamas invasion into israel let's hear it we will not ever fail to have their back 
Double will make sure that they have the help their citizens need and they can continue to defend themselves. You know, the world's seen appalling images. Thousands of rockets in a space of hours raining down on Israeli cities. When I got up this morning and started this at 7.38 o'clock, my calls, Hamas terrorists crossing in Israel, killing not only Israeli soldiers, but Israeli civilians. In the street, in their homes, innocent people murdered, wounded, entire families taken hostage by Hamas. Just days after Israel marked the holiest of days in the Jewish calendar. It's unconscionable. You know, when I spoke with Prime Minister Netanyahu this morning, I told him the United States stands with the people of Israel in the face of these terrorist assaults. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people. Full stop. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. And my administration's support for Israel's security is rock solid and unwavering. It's it's weird because the Biden base seems like they're mostly the people that are out here championing beheaded babies. And I know we're going to talk about that, but the fucked up shit that's happening, Mm -hmm. right? Standing with Palestine. And then now this administration is sending aircraft carriers over to that part of the world. It's good that you mentioned that, Noah. The newest aircraft carrier strike group, the Gerald Ford, is en route right now. And now we're saying that there's going to be probably a second one deployed to the area as well. I thought they already had multiple, but maybe I was backed up on that. They're en route. Oh, okay. Yeah. I also, you know, we, we live down here in Southern California. There's obviously an immense amount of military presence down here as well. I saw more planes military transport planes and cargo planes flying the wrong way or the way that they usually don't fly over Mm -hmm. my house this weekend. I believe in one hour on Sunday afternoon, I counted nine. I was sitting outside in the backyard and it was just like massive plane after plane just flying. And they're obviously together and, and, and probably heading over towards the region with some of the promised ammunition and arms and logistical support that we're going to be giving to Israel. You got to think that all of this, the, the, the countrywide emergency alert thing, and then all this stuff happening at the same time. Like, I mean, it does not bode well for for world peace. And and I I hate to say it, but we are at fault for destabilizing the world with our fucking sign of weakness that this administration has done nothing but purport. True story. And it's it's it was interesting to watch as as some of the ways that the people who were murdered in Israel were killed. The terrorists would have them open up their social medias and live stream themselves getting killed. Yes, and then post it so their Fuck. families can. But a lot of these terrorists too also were wielding American military might. There was a lot of M4s in theater. Oh yeah, usually the AK-47 is the jam. Mm-hmm. Actually, I take that back. The AK-47 almost never jams. There you go. <laughs> but that would be the the normal uh, terrorist weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. Seems like these guys were a lot more funded and that a lot of these arms might have been coming from our not-so-great friends in the Taliban over in Afghanistan of the, what was it, like nearly 8,000 rifles that we left over there for them to play with. And, yeah, we don't have those weird little plane chariot things, do we? No, and even though no... Oh, God, if those were ours, too, that'd be fucked up. Even though nobody's heard or confirmed from the Biden... You know, administration that Iran was complicit in not only funding but providing logistical support for this attack... The leaders of Hamas, who I want to remind our listenership, don't live in country. They don't live in Israel. No. They don't live in Gaza. They live in places like Egypt and Jordan and the United Arab Emirates and live nice, posh lives, uh, have praised Iran. I mean, I'm sure there's some local true believers, you know, that jumped on the bandwagon. But Mm -hmm. still, yeah, you're right. 
And then you wait now with Saudi Arabia. Will, will they kind of be a, a voice of reason in this conflict right now? You know, as we see the world continuing to spiral out of control, even this morning, there has been reports out of Finland that the Baltic Corridor, one of the largest pipelines of, of gas and natural gas heading to the region, has been bombed in such a way that it can only have been done by an act of terrorism. Wait, not the gas pipeline thing again. Like, yeah. seriously, is there a script for this? Stop. Victoria Newland's going to hear you. Oh, Jesus. She's going to bomb your house then. Fuck. You know, I don't have a gas pipeline. I, well, I have natural gas. There you go. I blow up my oven. You know, we're going to get more of an insider perspective on this. It's kind of unfortunate to frame it that way in just a little bit. Sean Parnell is going to be joining us. I want to remind everybody, besides being a New York Times bestselling author and podcast host, he was a special operator for decades. Uh, he fought the war on terror and actually was, you know, one of the people combating former general of Iran, Soleimani, in Afghanistan when he sent people over there to kill American soldiers in any context before Donald Trump took care of that problem. And the other crazy thing is that, I mean, we're, we're basically assuming that Iran helped fund this, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're assuming we don't necessarily have proof. Hamas is basically kind of fessing up, right? Yeah. They're praising Iran for the, th for the help. So the Biden administration is not going to freeze the accounts of what the, wasn't there money that they could somehow stop so they unfroze it or was it pallets of cash it, they, was, it wasn't pallets of cash this time but they unfroze the six billion dollars right yeah and and even though that physical money hasn't been touched what's to say that iran didn't use other monies that it has because i just want you to remember because of joe biden's uh easing of sanctions and unregulations against iran they went from an industry that under the Trump administration that made annually about $4 billion for their economy using the world to now this year is reporting over $70 billion in, 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 in money that they've been able to earn through oil yeah. and, and through trade because Joe Biden basically erased all of the sanctions and restrictions that were put on the Iranian, Iranian regime when, when Joe Biden took over. So Yeah, it doesn't matter what fucking side of the bank account it comes from it's the same bank account yeah. like if you're gonna give me five hundred dollars next week and my rent's due and i pay my rent and then the five hundred dollars it's still the same fucking money yep yeah the, the death toll now currently sits at over 1100 total but they are still moving house to house neighborhood to neighborhood trying to figure out what the actual total is at this point this morning and we're talking about tuesday nearing the 11 o'clock hour on the west coast there it's been confirmed that 11 americans have been killed uh, there could be up to two dozen that were taken hostage. And we're talking about like students, people who had retired to Israel, maybe have just uh, were visiting, but you know, they, they haven't put a dead set number on it. But are these American, obviously you probably don't know, but I'm just, you know, you know, hypothesizing, are these American tourists or are these, for instance, dual there's citizens. a lot of people with dual citizenship. It could be either or. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, it still counts. Yeah. That's kind of a spicy region, like right on the border right there to live on. So if I'm thinking if they're dual citizens, it might be some people that are like older. Yeah. I mean, Net Netanyahu alluded to there was a Holocaust survivor that was, you know, taken out of bed, put in a wheelchair and, and rolled back to Gaza when they came over to attack in, in the initial elements of the invasion. So took her back to Gaza. Yeah. As a hostage. Oh, geez. Mm hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to see a lot of uh, shock value on social media. I, all I say is just like, uh, you know, go with caution. Like, obviously, videos that are showing actual things that are happening in real time, you know, it's okay to click and share. But the f people that are just out there promoting narratives, uh, skewed views of this thing, I would just kind of try to formulate your own opinion as this unfolds in real time. Because it's one of those situations where, obviously... 
you know, you don't want to see atrocities like this ever happen in the world. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have to have respect for the people that were just absolutely slaughtered and, uh, you know, just promoting gore for the sake of getting you to like click on your profile is yeah. really the way you should be conducting yourself on social media. And I think so. one of the most annoying things about society today is the, whether you want to call it partisanship or just picking a team, like, there's so many people that do not know the the history of the region and the history of this this skirmish that's been going on for what decades longer hundreds if not hundreds thousands if of not years. thousands of years. I'm sure Jesus would provide some fire commentary on yeah. the situation. So it, it's the equivalent of of just picking a football team because you like the logo. Yeah, I, they, these people have no idea what they're talking about. They've probably never done any sort of research, and, and honestly. I am not super well well read in on all this stuff. I've been looking into it. But, I mean, obviously, the only thing I can say is that terrorism is bad, mm-hmm. terrorists are bad, yeah. and killing innocent people is probably fucked up. Right. And, and when you're killing people at a peace festival, <laughs> a peace festival. Yeah. Jesus, come on. No, it's it's the truth. And, you know, that's the thing, too. Centralized governments all aren't always great either. But the fact of the matter is when you see something of this magnitude and, and coordinated uh, attack like this happen and just it, it's awful. It's it's atrocities. It's it's war crimes. It's things that you shouldn't even. This isn't military versus military. This isn't, you know, Israel bombing uh, an apartment complex where a suicide bomber's family lived and all this other stuff. This was like the, an invasion and, and a massacre. And for all the people out there who say Israel needs to pump the brakes and, and doesn't have the right to defend themselves and punch back, listen, Israel's still in, like, the recovery phase of, like, just gathering up the dead mm-hmm. and the wounded. They they are amassing their troops along the border with Gaza and the West Bank and in even up in near Lebanon because Hezbollah now has been, you know, pot-shotting rockets at Israel for since the skirmish started. And then although they haven't decided that they're going to get involved in this, it could open up a two-front, you know— counteroffensive for Israel as as this continues to develop. So Yeah, Hezbollah is another band of bad corn pops too, right? They cer- they yeah. certainly are and, and operate in the same way that Hamas does. So, you know, this broke uh, as this kind of unfolded into Sunday morning, you see this come out late Sunday evening from the White House press pool and this was just awful. Joe Biden gave a 2-minute speaking event on Sunday morning. Did he talk at- about ice cream? Well, and then this press pool release comes out. In late afternoon and early evening, a live band could be heard coming from the area in and around the Rose Garden at the White House. Your pooler asked why a band was playing from the White House. The president and the first lady were hosting a barbecue for White House executives and resident staffs and families. Yeah, maybe postpone that. You know, and, and call everybody the fuck back. Yeah, Anthony Blinken did. You know, I know. Well, he, he don't call him back. He just he just tell him to stay home. He's a fucking useless idiot. He's got a green screen at his house that shows that he was like in like the congressional halls or at the State Department or something. But this guy was home. They were all out of the office. Peter Ducey went on. I believe Sean Hannity last night and said, "Listen." People in the press were going to the State Department. They were going to the Department of Homeland Security. They went to physically the White House and were... And it had the little thing like at the gas station where it says back at whatever time, the little clock, He's like, <laughs> the they dialy. Were, they were rattling door handles and everything was locked everywhere. Well, at least it was locked this time. I got a little uh, blinktage for you on, on some of the speaking events Tony did over the weekend. Our, our absolutely pathetic Secretary of State. So if you want to fire up the swoosh button... 
Let's hit it. But, Mr. Secretary, do you acknowledge that both Israeli intelligence officials and U.S. intelligence officials were caught off guard here? This is an attack that I don't think anyone saw coming in the um, uh, in the immediate. So was it an intelligence uh, failure, said, Mr. Secretary? Uh, this, do you acknowledge it was an intelligence we will have failure? Plenty, we, will ha- we will have plenty of time to, uh, the Israelis will have plenty of time to look into that. Uh, all of us will have time to look into that. The focus now has to be on making sure that Israel has what it needs to deal with this attack uh, and uh, to make sure that its um, uh, citizens are safe and secure. That's the entire focus. The accusation is that Iran's posture, excuse me, the, that the U.S., your administration's posture towards Iran has helped contribute to this. I want to get you, give you a chance to respond. Well, there are two things here. First, with regard to the uh, the funds that you mentioned um, that um, uh, were released to or were made available. The accusation is that Iran's posture, excuse me, the, that the U.S., your administration's posture towards Iran has helped contribute to this. I want to get you, give you a chance to respond. Well, there are two things here. First, with regard to the, uh, the funds that you mentioned um, that um, uh, were released to or were made available to Iran for humanitarian purposes uh, as part of uh, getting Americans back who are being held and detained in Iran. Let's be very clear about this. And it's deeply unfortunate that some are playing politics when so many lives have been lost and Israel remains under attack. Uh, the facts are these. No U.S. Uh, taxpayer dollars were involved. These were Iranian resources uh, that uh, Iran had accumulated from the sale of its oil uh, that were stuck in a bank in South Korea. They have had from day one, under our law, under our sanctions, the right to use these monies for humanitarian purposes. Now, remember, uh, the president of Iran said in an interview last week with Lester Holt that it doesn't matter what Secretary of State Tony Blinken or Joe Biden says about the $6 billion that they've unfroze as part of the new Iran deal with our government, they will use those funds for whatever they want, even though none of those funds were drained specifically to support this mission. At the same time, what can you say? It's like they're just going to be refilling up funds that they spent from items elsewhere. Again, I want to remind everybody, a $4 billion industry that Iran had with its international sales and oil trade during the Trump administration has ballooned under Joe Biden to $70 billion a year. Oh, good. So they could pretty much fund whatever they want. I've got one more from this empty suit right now, and then we'll uh, jump into some commentary on it. Let's hear it. We have reports that several uh, Americans may be among the dead. We are very actively working to verify those reports. Similarly, we've seen reports about, um, about hostages, and there again, we're very actively trying to verify them uh, and uh, nail that down. Meaning that there could be some U.S. citizens who have been taken hostage as well, Mr. Secretary? That's correct. Oof. A little pause there. You know, yeah, I was hoping nobody's going to ask that question. I, but I've answered one that you just asked a few minutes ago, Noah. So it's breaking news right now that the Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is being deployed to the region as well. That would be the second one that's going to be following the Gerald Ford on its way over there. Okay, well. Hold on to your butts. I'm sure that'll be good. And, and and like I said before, I mean, this administration is probably being forced into doing something that their base doesn't want them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the defense minister of Israel put out a statement yesterday that said, and talking about how Israel is going to be punching back here, again, remember, they're still in the recovery phase. Obviously, they're they're shooting rockets and, and having airstrikes on targets that they probably have confirmed. 
struck Israel, but the fact of the matter is they haven't launched their ground invasion yet. And I'm reading now from his press release, I have ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel, and everything going in and out will be closed. We are fighting human animals, and we will act and respond accordingly. So that's from there. You can only imagine how the military-industrial complex wing of the Republican Party was frothing at the mouth. Oh, the whole military-industrial complex is like two wars for the price of one? I've got a little bit of Nikki Haley. You know, oh. she loves to talk about invading Iran. Let's hear her. But let's step back because I want the American people to kind of take this in for a second. Just imagine that here the Israelis woke up and communities were bombarded. Families were murdered. Women and children were taken hostage, dragged through the streets. The elderly were taken. All of this has happened in front of everyone, on top of thousands of rockets that hit Israel. This should be personal for every woman and man in America. Why? Because when they did this, when they did this surprise attack, when they took these hostages, when they murdered these families, they were celebrating. And what were they celebrating? They were saying death to Israel, death to America. This is not just an attack on Israel. This is an attack on America because they hate us just as much. And what we have to understand is this is the reason that we have to unite around making sure our enemies do not hurt our friends. America can never be so arrogant to think we don't need friends, just like we needed them on 9-11. That's why Ukraine needs us when Russia's doing this. That's why Mm. Israel needs us when Hamas and Iran are doing this. And I'll say this to, to Prime Minister Netanyahu, finish them. Finish them. Hamas did this. You know Iran's behind it. Finish them. They should have hell to pay for what they've just done. She also invoked they hate us because they ain't us, which I think would be a very appropriate (laughs) end of show clip today. So jot that one down. Man, I wish she was the worst of it, but you all know one of our favorites here on Steak for Breakfast, often publicly booed, the real-life Mr. Garrison, Mm. Lindsey Graham, can't wait to absolutely get his figuratively and literally teeth into the Iranian regime. Let's hear it. Your appeasement policies toward Iran is not working. To the squad, shut the hell up. You're emboldening the enemy. You're a disgrace to the United States Congress. You're siding with terrorists over a democracy called Israel. Uh, you've lost your perspective here. I, I'm confident most Democrats do not agree with the squad. Bottom line is, Biden and Obama have appeased the Iranians to the point of where we are today. If you pull the plug on Ukraine and let Putin get away with this, he will not stop. We'll be in a war between NATO and Russia. We have a chance to reset the world here. Defeat Putin in the Ukraine, dismantle Hamas now, and tell the Iranians, if you escalate any more attacks coming from Iran, we're coming after you. Anything short of that is going to lead to an invasion of Taiwan by China. We live in very dangerous times. The Biden administration's approach to Iran is about as successful as their border policy. Mm. Scissor me timbers. Yeah. Frothing. Yeah. You know, and when you do want to talk about some of these elements from the Obama administration who are running point on our foreign policy with Iran, obviously Secretary of State Tony Blinken, uh, Valerie Jarrett at the State Department, Victoria Nuland, who loves blowing up pipelines. Jake Sullivan, and John Kerry. There's one thing 
besides working for the Obama administration and the Biden administration, that kind of links them together. What could it be? Hmm. What is it that Cash Patel always tells us? All roads lead to what? Russiagate? Yeah. Mm. It's you, all. It's always Russiagate. You've got a bunch of pathological liars dictating foreign policy that has compromised American safety and now American lives across the world. And you take a tragedy like this, it almost erases the fact of how bad the Afghan withdrawal was. But once again, you've seen, not in a military context, but this time civilian-wise, American blood on the hands of this administration. Yeah, well, I mean, that seems like that's just their theme. And, and where a lot of people think that Joe Biden wants to start wars to be able to make his stock higher running into a presidential election cycle, I can tell you what, from all the people I talk to inside the Beltway, Joe Biden wants nothing to do with international conflicts. They wanted to separate themselves so far away from the Afghan withdrawal, not just because of what happened, but because Joe Biden doesn't want to be known as a wartime president. He wants to be known as a DEI president, and he wants to be known as a... Ice cream president? Yeah, and a, and a climate change president. That's his policy platform. And that was even brought up on the news deal. You know, real quick before we get into that, first of all, wherever you're listening to the show today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to the show. It helps us out immensely, and we really appreciate it. And then find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and True Social. Find the accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. I just want to let you know, no, there's so there's a chief of staff at the uh, for the Secretary of State Special Operations and Low Intensity Conflict. Right, mm -hmm. this person is an Iranian national, dual citizen who obtained a top secret security clearance. She's a member of the Iranian-run influence network that reports back to Tehran's foreign ministry directly. Mm -hmm. And now she continues to serve in the Biden administration at the State Department. Still after this. People talk about the intelligence failure of it. You know, there have been reports that elements of the CIA and the Egyptian intelligence community had let Israel know that some kind of attack was imminent. But, you know, when you talk about, like, a couple people trying to run up to the border wall with RPGs or AK-47s or the usual, like, guy crosses a checkpoint, as soon as he gets through, he pulls out a knife and starts stabbing or people. Or a car bomb or a VIED. It looks like you had people legitimately working inside of our government who were letting Iran know exactly how we were treating this situation and how much effort we were putting into it. And then there's a lot of people that are out there asking questions about the Iron Dome and how components of it failed. You know, one of the things that Hamas did at the start of this conflict was they released hundreds of dummy rockets into Israel, which are just low-grade low efficiency rockets and then as soon as those triggered the iron dome they started launching their precision guided missiles right behind them which were actually striking the targets within israel yeah how how long of a rocket attack can the iron dome sustain i wonder i mean because it seems like they had that pretty well they had been pointing out for a long time too that they need some of their resources replenished which apparently they're getting now from the biden administration i also want to remind everybody before we get into our last clip and jump in with sean parnell People talk about Donald Trump's stand and, and how he was probably the most pro-Israel president in history. We have a lot of our commentators and congressmen and women who come on this show who are Jewish, who support that, and always seem to bring it up when they talk about Donald Trump's foreign policy. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Donald Trump moved the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, a promise that I think five presidents before him has made, mm -hmm. and he was the only one that kept it. He also cut over $500 million in aid for the terrorist regime in Hamas aid that Joe Biden through proxies and, and for so humanitarian aid were allowed back to Hamas when he took over office. I actually saw yesterday outside of like some of the buildings that were probably defensive positions for Hamas in Gaza, that there were stacked up rice bags 
that were being used as foreign aid to Palestine from Japan. They had clearly had the markings of the Japanese flag writing in Japanese, but then it said free aid for Palestine and then like rice and whatever the contents, uh, you know, the amount of the, of the bag was, and they were being used as sandbags outside of buildings. So that's where your foreign aid is going. They're They're going to line up defensive positions in the Gaza Strip. Nice. Fantastic. Donald Trump also closed the PLO office in Washington, D.C. Not a lot of people talk about that and booted them out of the fucking country. And, and it just seems like we need a person like that back in the White House right now. You know, I, I know a lot of people keep saying, like, oh, yeah, we need to bring Trump back. We need to be – Trump ain't coming back until January of 2025. Yeah, we've got a long time, and a lot of bad shit is most likely going to happen in the meantime. Like, if you think something like what happened in Israel couldn't happen here with all the – potential terrorists that we've let in. I mean, we've, we've already let in more people than we have in the U S military. Yeah. And a lot of people believe it or not are from that region regions in Africa where terrorism is, is basically, you know, a hotbed. And, and here's the thing, the state department confirmed late last week that there's like 144 people on the terrorist interest list that have been let into the United States. And they confirmed that they are not tracking them in any context except that they have to report to somewhere by like 2027 you're saying that they took their free cell phone and gave it to somebody else who knows but i uh, i mean because when you look at the amount of people that have come into the country mm -hmm. and just just by the numbers the percentages we have something like uh 1.3 million or something people in the united states uh military Mm -hmm. probably you know maybe not including the reserve and all the other stuff and we've already, what, Biden's let in like 7 million people or more? Close to 2 million gotaways as well. It's close to 10 million people total. Yeah, so we're thinking 10 million people versus our, let's say, high estimate, 2 million in the military. Mm-hmm. And that number is hemorrhaging daily. And anybody that wants to make the argument, well, they don't have a sophisticated military and they're not coordinated. Well, neither did the people Yeah, these guys on- came in with fucking kites and lawnmowers, yeah. basically. <laughs> they were riding on lawn chairs with fans on the back of them, <laughs> and it was like three people per dirt bike that were crossing the border over there. Okay, so we're we're making extreme light of those uh, aerial apparatus. But yeah, those are actually real things, like it wasn't really a lawn chair with like, you know, the, the guy with the, the lawn chair with the balloons and he had a BB gun to shoot himself down, like from back in the nineties. The it wasn't like that. Like no. these are actual legitimate yeah. aeronautical fucking instruments, but still basically it's a fucking dude in a lawn chair that just attacked the country. Yeah. And even though they're riding nuts to butts too, it, it's wild. And, and when you think at a time like this, Maybe for the sake of God, Joe Biden would stand up and and someone would just say, listen, just read the teleprompter. It's going to show that you have a spine, but just ignore it. We know you don't. He sent John Kirby out yesterday. Oh, that fucking guy. In an, in an interview with Martha McGallum to reiterate what, the, what Joe Biden and this regime's focus is on while the world continues to burn. Let's hear the admiral. I want to play this soundbite for you that is just last month in Vietnam and ask you if this still holds for the president. Watch. The only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a, than a nuclear war, is global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. Given all the nuclear players in these two areas where we are now engaged on, does the president stand by that comment? 
Absolutely he does. Climate change is an existential threat. It, can, it, it actually threatens and is capable of wiping out all human life on Earth mm. uh, over time. I mean, that's I don't know how more existential you can get to that. But that doesn't mean that we walk away from our obligations, our national security interests in very dangerous parts of the but world. John, you mentioned he, he said it was more frightening than a nuclear war. Yeah, is no. that it's about more no. frightening than a nuclear war in this moment? The president believes wholeheartedly that climate change is an existential threat to all of human life on the planet. That's just science. That's a fact, Martha. But it doesn't mean that we turn our back on the other challenges facing this country and our allies and partners around the world. We fuck you. I hate you. Wow. What else can you say? Wow. That guy. I mean, I, I said that KJP and, and uh, fucking carrot top would go home and, punched themselves in the fucking tits just to punish themselves for the shit that they say. But this guy, I don't even know what he does. He must roll around in glass naked. It's, it's, it's insane. No self-respect. Just the, the biggest bullshit fucking line ever. And that's the thing, guys. We try to give you kind of a, a little bit different of a perspective than what you're getting in the mainstream media. Usually what you get here on steak for breakfast. But again, we aren't geopolitical experts. That's why we bring on people like Colonel McGregor, Colonel Manis. I'm only a sarcasm expert. And, and that's the thing. We've got Sean Parnell coming in right now that's going to give us kind of a military perspective on, on some of the stuff that's going on in and around the situation. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, T-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he is the host of Battleground Live, one of my favorite shows. Very excited to be sitting down again with Mr. Sean Parnell. Sean, thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back. Well, it's been kind of busy. I think, uh, you know, <laughs> what's popped up, in the Middle East over the weekend is the story that's kind of dominating the headlines, but there's a bunch of other stuff going on as well. You want to kind of uh, let our listenership know how you're kind of watching this develop, Sean? Yeah. So a couple things on that. Uh, I'll just I'll first start with personal experience with Iranian funded terrorist groups. Uh, we fought them in Afghanistan for about eight months. Uh, they found their way into the country via Pakistan and recruited heavily in the Pakistani tribal regions, recruited heavily their sons, uh, train them to get in the fight against us. And, and I'll tell you, uh, all terrorists and Islamic extremists are terrible, but particularly the Iranian-funded Islamic extremists are especially evil and especially brutal. And those are almost like their calling cards or their hallmarks. Um, and, you know, we saw the news coming out of Israel today with, you know, they found babies beheaded and things like that. And they were lot, they were burning young girls alive and live streaming it on on the Internet. I mean, just when I saw that, I, I knew that these were that these were all I mean, of course, Hamas is, is funded by Iran, but it's just just their calling card. It's what they do. We saw that as a as a matter of routine in Afghanistan, guys. Um that and, and much worse. And the only thing that that these people understand, and, and this is what I really need your listeners and viewers to understand, is that they understand strength and they understand death. And in Afghanistan, it got so bad with them uh, that 
we would kill them on the battlefield and we killed them in, in great numbers. I mean, hundreds of these Iranian funded terrorists and we would drive them back to the mosque in the bazaar that was situated right outside of our base in accordance with Islamic law, of course, within 48 hours and, and literally stack the bodies outside of the mosque in front of in front of the bazaar, in front of everybody to see um, just to, I mean, it served a lot of different purposes. As I mentioned, we wanted to make sure that we were uh, staying in accordance with Islamic law, but also sending a very clear message to, you know, Afghan families and Pakistani families, very clear message of do not commit your sons to this fight or they will die. And I want to say 30 days after some of the heaviest fighting, and again, we fought them for about eight months, we started getting State Department cables on the ground in Afghanistan. And this was in 2006 um, saying that, you know, Pakistan did not want to commit their sons to this fight anymore and did not want to give their sons up to Iranian recruiters. Uh, because they were dying in such great numbers. And so my hope is is that the IDF uh, w- will crush Hamas, and it seems like that's exactly what they're going to do, and and show them no mercy, because frankly, that's that's the only way uh, that's the only way it'll stop. You know, in in Israel, you've got a country that's wholly committed to a peaceful existence. And you know, you've got Gaza, which desires statehood, but since its inception, has been dedicated and proudly proclaims publicly that they want to destroy and wipe off the face of the planet, their neighbor. Right. And this is what, from 30,000 feet, guys, it's like, why do you think that you're even entitled to a state at all if that's going to be your perspective? Like, no, a state is not something that you're entitled to. So uh, Israel has tried and pursued peace uh, with, with Gaza and the Palestinians and Hamas for a long time, and I think the time for that has passed. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild weekend. The reports coming out of there, a lot of the videos that were circulating online, especially the ones that you can go and see on Telegram, are pretty damning, and, and definitely some of the most you know biggest atrocities that I've ever seen with my own eyes. And it's just really hard to kind of understand how the the big intelligence failure that went down. You know, there's reports circulating now that people in the State Department and then within Egypt intelligence had been warning the Israelis that some kind of attack, uh, you know, may have been imminent. But when you just look at the calculated and coordinated way that this kind of went down and unfolded over the weekend it seems like even in their wildest of dreams they couldn't have thought that the palestinians would have been able to pull it off with this much precision and and at the cost of so much human life you know you raise such an important point and it's not something that i i have enough clarity on and certainly you know a lot of people who are watching this situation very closely probably want this question answered as well is you know first of all it's shocking to me that the IDF did not see this coming. They have some of the most sophisticated, you know, technological surveillance all along their border in the history of the world. I will say just from uh, friends that are special operators uh, that that are in and around the IDF, boots on the ground in the IDF or have fought in many wars as part of the IDF said that that in the lead up to this attack, they were unbelievably and uncharacteristically quiet. And what they believe is that that the leadership from these groups that attacked Israel communicated via courier and jump sticks, yep. which, you know, as you know, the level of tactical acumen that requires and coordination between leaderships and communication discipline is, is unbelievable. And really, it's how it's it's 
part of the reason why we had so much difficulty in and around the Pakistan region finding bin Laden because they never actually used cell phones. They never didn't use the radio. They would send their messages on jumpstick via courier. They'd plug that jumpstick into a computer and they'd reply right on the computer, never even have to really be on the internet. And so that's how they communicated in that way. But I'd say for, for our intelligence communities, like maybe just maybe, you know, the FBI, uh, shouldn't be investigating Trump supporters, uh, shouldn't be deeming us all domestic extremists or even terrorists or or labeling moms that dare to go to school boards to protest curriculum, calling them domestic terrorists or calling, you know, pro-lifers who protest out of abortion clinic, calling them terrorists. Like maybe we should focus on actual terrorists and we would see this stuff coming from a mile away. But it just, just shows you from that just how jacked up the priorities are and how dangerous having this animated corpse of Joe Biden in the White House really truly is. I mean, not only and this this is why I say, you know, part of the mission of 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 the show of, of my show Battleground is is to to build a coalition of Americans who love this country, who are in it to defend this country. I just personally believe that the Democrats, the new Democrat party, they're an existential threat to this country. Mm-hmm. And we need to do everything that we can to dismantle to dismantle that party because you know their end state wishes means an America that's not an America that any of us grew up in, and that's not something that we can tolerate. No, you make an excellent point there. I mean, you see all five members of the squad and then some of the congressmen and women who are adjacent to them putting out you know very soft-worded posts on social media this yes. weekend, basically supporting yeah. Hamas, and then you have Rashida Tlaib, who's a congresswoman, you know, squad member as well, have a Palestinian flag outside of her office as of this morning. And then you have even like the, uh, you know, the Joe Biden State Department putting out uh, messages over the weekend, basically saying like, okay, this is a horrible tragedy. However, both sides need to stand down immediately. It's like people are actively in real time getting slaughtered and you're calling for a ceasefire. It doesn't really work that way in the real world. And then Sean, I I heard you mention special operators. I do want to jump right over to that. So it's been reported this morning that there are operators arriving in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem to uh, offer support and probably logistical assistance to the Israeli military and their intelligence apparatus. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, (laughs) nearly 11 Americans were confirmed killed over the weekend, and there are reports that there could be up to two dozen American hostages in, in you know, the control of Hamas and, and brought back to Gaza as we speak. Right now, you have to think, the biggest thing that worries Americans is when you hear boots on the ground and in theater. Can you give our listenership a little bit of, like, maybe uh, from based off of your experience, what would be happening right now in coordination between the Israeli and, and United States military when it comes to the special forces helping out? Yeah, first of all, I... I- Look, you will rarely, rarely, if ever, hear me talk about sending Americans boots on the ground anywhere, um, especially after 20 years of failure in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I would just ask your audience, just just listen, ask yourself very clearly, what does America have to show for, for our fight in Iraq and Afghanistan? Iraq is arguably today worse off than it was when 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 we invaded Afghanistan is far more dangerous today uh, than it was in a, even in a pre 9-11 world, because all those terrorist factions that we tried to to depose are now woven into the highest levels and fabric of their actual government. So and we armed and, them. And not to mention. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, we armed them. Not to mention we have thousands of Americans dead, tens of thousands of Americans physically wounded, hundreds of thousands to suffer from the invisible wounds of war, you know, million Iraqis and Afghans dead. So not a good all around situation. This is why I'm unbelievably careful when we talk about this stuff. Um, as far as boots on the ground in Israel, 
Um, a couple things. I don't support American boots on the ground uh, in any sort of kinetic fight in Israel. I don't. And, and an important, I think, caveat to that is also to say Bibi Netanyahu is not asking for our help. You know, juxtapose that with Zelensky, who's you know traveling all around all around the world, asking people not only to fund his war so that we can pay Ukrainian bureaucrat pensions and with Social Security funds yep. here in America. Um, but also put international troops on the ground in Ukraine, which is a wholly different scenario. It's a wholly different, it's a whole different conflict. But what I think that America has to be ready for, and I saw some uh, tweets about it this morning and news breaking this morning, that Americans who are trapped in Israel or have, or Americans who have, you know, been taken hostage or are at risk of being taken hostage, those families have reached out to the Biden administration, have reached out to the U.S. Embassy in the area, and there's no plan to get them out. So while I don't, I do not support, you know, American special operations forces or advisors in a kinetic mission at all in Israel and Bibi Netanyahu's not asking for that, but I do support getting clandestine special operations forces on the ground with a very limited role of search and rescue. I do not like the idea of any foreign government at any time being in charge of getting Americans out of any sort of hostile or tough scenario. We have units that are specific, our special forces were designed for this purpose. That is very, very different from an invasion force or what we would understand as boots on the ground. But to me, after what we saw in Afghanistan and leaving Americans behind, you know, our government, you know, like to say this, even though the Biden administration, again, the guys in the animated corpse can't trust them with anything, <laughs> like to say Democrat or Republican, we have a sacred obligation to our people uh, to get them out or to at least make a promise that we will do everything we in our power to get you out of tough scenarios abroad, especially if you find yourself in the midst of conflict. Um, now, certainly. Joe Biden is so incompetent that he's thrown that that entire sacred obligation, that sacred pro promise for a loop. But um, I still think that we have to have a plan. And it's very clear that the Biden administration at this point, even after all that we've experienced and seen the horror that's unfolded in Israel and knowing that, I mean, do we even know how many American citizens are in Israel right now? I bet you that number exceeds 10,000. With them rocketing Ben Garan Airport in in Israel, do we have a plan to get our people out? I mean, it doesn't seem like the Biden administration is prepared at all. In that scenario, truly scares me because the IDF mission is going to be defense of their border from other international actors who would want to get involved in an attack against Israel, and the very difficult mission of door-to-door -door fighting in Gaza. Yeah. They are not going to have time to evac American citizens, and that that. That obligation falls to us. No, no plan. It, it certainly does. And when you look at the way Joe Biden handled the weekend, they didn't cancel a, a staff and family's barbecue right. at the White House. He right. Put, it's insane. Put a lid on his day, which was the first Monday after the incident started, you know, in Israel uh, at noon yesterday, Eastern time. Then they announced later in the day, well, he didn't really put a lid on it. He's been meeting with uh, Robert Hur and the special <laughs> counsel investigating his document case for the last two days in his private residence. So it's been very taxing. Right. And then he's supposed to be giving a speech today in a couple hours. But from all I hear, is that it's going to be focused on the economy and the fake jobs that he's creating and and not really focused on this. I'm sure he'll obviously provide a statement on it, but the fact of the matter is when you want to talk about American leadership and perception around the world, it's at probably the weakest it's been in, in a very long time, if not ever. So, Sean, I go ahead. Uh, absolutely. Look, and, and let's not forget that this Robert Malley guy who hired three high-level Iranian sympathizers to write, you know, 
ghostwrite op-eds for high-level Iranian government figures. All of these people had their security clearances revoked. All of these people were appointed by Joe Biden, so we say weak. But no, actually, Joe Biden has been unbelievably soft and a net negative on Iran. And that's what's giving rise to all this chaos and violence in, in the Middle East, because Biden himself and his entire administration is an Iranian sympathizer. And so it's no wonder that they're out there saber rattling and emboldened to do horrific things to Israel and and indeed America when it comes time for them to do that as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of developing in real time. But when you look at the I mean, I guess the reality of what we've got going on in Washington, D.C. right now, you could thank people like Blinken, Jarrett, Newland, Sullivan and John Kerry for yeah. their failed politics since the Obama administration that Joe Biden kind of brought back to life. And, and these are the fruits that. You know, those those rewards are now reaping, uh, you know, for the Iranians and, and their funding of this proxy war via Hamas and Israel right now. So, Sean, this mm-hmm. has been great sitting down with you today. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. We're obviously going to live link your podcast. It's one of my favorites, a daily listen, Battleground Live now. Uh, you know, you kind of got to do it in real time with no edits, but I think it's a fantastic show. Definitely America First. <laughs> our, a lot of our listenership listens to it as well. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Yeah, just again, please subscribe to Battleground Live. It goes uh, Monday through Friday from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock exclusively on Rumble. And by the way, a lot of my listeners listen to Steak for Breakfast, too. You guys are a great show. I love you guys. Um, but yeah, I'm at Sean Parnell USA on Twitter. I'm at Sean Parnell USA on Getter. You find me on Instagram and Facebook as well. But yeah, please subscribe to that podcast. If you love this country and you want to defend this country from radical leftists and you want to stay out front of all the news and intelligence, please follow that show and tune in every night at 5. No, absolutely. We'll be live linking it and directing our listenership there. This is the New York Times bestselling author, combat veteran, and host of Battleground Live. Mr. Sean Parnell, thanks for joining us on the show today. See you guys. Take care. Joe Biden betrayed Israel. He betrayed our country. As president, I will once again stand with Israel, and we will cut off the money to Palestinian terrorists on day one. We'll cut it off on day one. And Biden and Obama were terrible to Israel because they begged him. Bibi Netanyahu came here, begged Obama, begged him, please, sir. I mean, he literally, what, the way he was talking, it was the craziest thing. He was begging him, don't do the Iran nuclear deal. I ended it. And if they, we had our administration, we would have had a deal with Iran already. It would have been a good deal. They wouldn't have had a nuclear weapon. Now they're three months away from having a nuclear weapon. And once they have a nuclear weapon, the conversations become much more difficult. This guy, this poor, sad sack of a president that we have, will lead us into World War III 100 percent. I've been I've made the and I hope that's a prediction that I'm wrong on. But we've never been closer. We've never been closer than we are right now. And. He tweaks the wrong people at the wrong time. He says the wrong thing at the wrong time. If he says anything at all, he's not respected at all. It's a disgrace. They spend all their money with the DOJ on screwing opponents. That's what they do. Mm. That's all they're good at. He has, you are closer to World War III. And I can say this, if I'm elected, I'm the only one that can say it. You will never have World War III. You will not have World War III. Less than four years ago, we had the historic Abraham Accords, which 
Everyone said, when will you get your Nobel Peace Prize? Should have. I had five things I should have gotten a Nobel Prize, but I said, I'm not going to get one. They gave one to Obama when he got elected. Two weeks later, they got elected. He didn't. Why did I get it? Does anyone know? For he didn't do anything. <laughs> he didn't do too much after that either. But For droning today, U.S. citizens? Think of it. Yeah. So just a short time ago, we did the historic Abraham Accords, and today we have the exact opposite, a major attack on Israel. What a difference a president. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a president makes is what he was alluding to. Is yeah. Donald Trump left New York City last week after learning over the weekend that an appellate judge there is halting the liquidation of the Trump corporation's pending appeals and and for him showing up in court last week as many people thought it could have been just for show it seemed like his message got across i feel like the dissolving his corporations like yeah they'll if they can get away with it they'll do it but it's it's just smoke it's just to distract him and and just drain his war chest yeah he he did two events on on sunday in iowa he was in cedar rapids and waterloo and he was meeting with delegations like the cattlemen's union mm. and asking them in the events to commit to caucus for Trump 2024. So you've heard some of the 45th president's commentary on the uh, terror attacks in Israel. So Noah, after talking to a sitting congressman who's obviously America first and, and lined up with president Trump, and then, you know, we get Sean Parnell in there and give us a little kind of a geopolitical and, and military insight and perspective into it. It kind of feels a little bit better breaking down some of the commentary like, you know, these people have seen it, they've done it, or they've voted on it, and, and they've had the opportunity to, like, be in the rooms where these decisions are being made or be on the battlefield where they're literally fighting the people who are waging war against our allies right now. And it kind of makes me feel a little bit more comfortable just providing a little bit of insight on it as well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, having Parnell come in, you don't you don't get somebody who knows more than somebody who's been actually been those boots on the ground doing doing the shit that matters. Yeah, Senator Tom Cotton today called Admiral Kirby an absolute embarrassment for his he commentary, is. saying that he climate is. change is more frightening than nuclear war. Yeah, because guess what? Nuclear war is the epitome of climate change. <laughs> nuclear winter. I like it. Mm. I'll roll with that. The uh, death toll of the Americans in Israel is up to 14 confirmed by the State Department, and we still don't have a confirmation on how many hostages were taken back to Gaza. So that's kind of developing in real time, and that's kind of the only stats we'd like to provide for you because it's what's going on today. And, and Joe Biden, the fact that there are – I mean, Noah, you saw all the people out parading in, like, Times Square. That's oh, ridiculous. Miami, Los Angeles over the weekend. I'm surprised nobody had ISIS flags. Well, there was the guy holding up the cell phone saying death to all the Jews with the, he Google searched a, a Nazi flag and was like literally holding it out mm. for all the press to take pictures of him. But it's like, you know, these people will go after the pro-lifers, the Catholics, the PTA parents and the Trump supporters. Meanwhile, you have people who are literally sympathizing with terrorists who just committed a massacre in the Middle East and nothing. The police are pushing any kind of counter-protesters, even ones who are in support of Israel, away from these situations and allowing these people just to go out there and grandstand for the atrocities that happened in Israel over the weekend. Yeah, it's easier for them to to put away the people who are on the side that doesn't burn down everything than it is to just let these people do whatever the fuck they want, and they just get away with it. It's crazy. How many times do you think we're going to have terrorist attack here in the United States moving forward where some of these people that were at these events were 
on the radar of the FBI. Mm, gotta the, love that radar. And the Department of Homeland Security, absolutely. So Donald Trump kept it a little light in his speaking events in Iowa, too. Obviously talking about some of the consulting that Joe Biden's getting, and now it's probably not too good. He's got a consultant somewhere. This is the worst consultant in politics that thinks he looks good in a bathing suit, right? <laughs> no, he, he spends so much time at the beach. And, you know, how do you do that? And, you know... I have a much better body than him, <laughs> but I'm not really sure that I want to expose it with the sun blaring down and the sand, the surf, the wind, you know, you, I mean, you know, it's not a pretty sight. The funny part was, so he, Trump on, on True Social took a video of that clip right there and he quote truthed it with a picture of himself from, like, the 80s in an all-white polo and, like, nuthugger shorts, like, serving. <laughs> <laughs> because, obviously, he's stating that he has a much better body than Joe Biden. So it, it, I thought it was just the way only President Trump could frame it. It was, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, he wanted to remind everybody that was out at these events in Iowa that there is one clear choice when it comes to president in the election next year. And uh, I'm going to play a portion of his closeout right now as we get ready to jump over to his event in New Hampshire, which was yesterday. With your help, your love, and your vote, we will put America first, and we will quickly and strongly make America great again. Thank you. Thank you, Iowa. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great. So two stops over in Iowa, which which I think were very energetic. He actually got out with some farmers. He signed a couple more tractors. And, you know, he, he's talking to these people out there. But I think the underlying tone of all of his speaking events was how, even though these events are definitely driven more domestically, it was the successes of Trump's foreign policies that led to a thriving domestic economy here. You had so much money coming in from some of our geopolitical foes who didn't necessarily contribute to our economy before Donald Trump took office that were all of a sudden pouring billions into it when he took office that I, I think is the driving point home. The, the, the economy under Donald Trump doesn't exist without the successes of his foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And I think when you find a tragedy like this, uh, you know, like the one that's happening in Israel right now uh, to, to just remind everybody like, you didn't get woken up at three o'clock in the morning of reports like this when I was the president. It just didn't happen. And, you know, I saw in New Hampshire yesterday, Donald Trump went over to uh, Wolfsboro, New Hampshire, obviously one of the first five primary states as well. And he did a speaking event. We're going to cover a couple clips from there. But one of the things I saw, and I thought it was really kind of a touching moment. So he read the snake yesterday. Again? As he was talking about, you know, some of the border policies. And uh, I think he was piggybacking that off of there's been so many gotaways and people on terrorist watch lists that we've incurred at the U.S. southern border that who knows who the hell these people are, especially since it's been confirmed that we aren't tracking them. In the same time, he started reading the poem, and about halfway through, he stops himself and he tells somebody, a lady in the front row to stop crying. She got all emotional over it. Because I think these people are really starting to get caught up in, in not just the movement, but the urgency to bring stability back to Washington, D.C. and to the Oval Office. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you just can't take for granted how good things were under President Trump, whether or not you like the way he posted on social media or talked sometimes, uh, fails in comparison to the job that he was able to get done. And, 
you know, you want to talk about all these people out there, these other commentators and podcasts and pundits and, and people that have their own show in the mainstream media that want to detract from any of his successes because of the lawfare that's been waged against him. Or, you know, he told Iran and North Korea, essentially, fuck around and find out. He said it on Rush Limbaugh. He said it in another speaking of fire and fury like the world has never seen. You know, and, and Soleimani definitely got a little taste of that. And, and then when you talk about things like, taking the Iran narrative off the table and telling them basically we're going to essentially economically choke you to death and you're going to do exactly what we want. He did the same thing with North Korea, but at the same time was able to go over there for the first time ever as a sitting president and, and call the leader of the dictatorship handsome and thin, even, <laughs> though, even though he's ugly and fat right to his face. You know, and it was one of those things where, like I said, you might not have liked the way he accomplishes things, but you can't take away from the endless list of accomplishments that were able to happen. Again, you want to talk about hires and you want to talk about this, that, and the other thing. The apparatus There's was a lot today. I know was set up to defeat him before he even took office. And we know what, with the confirmation of Spygate, but then all the people that were working against him, you know, you had the, the speaker of the house who was hot Mike saying that he would never work with or, or carry out the agenda of Donald Trump. You had the facets of the FBI. Listen, the former head of the CIA yesterday, right? So somebody posted a Tommy Tuberville post yesterday. Senator Tuberville, the guy that's holding up the confirmations because of the pay-for-play for abortions in the military. The former head of the CIA screen captured that, and the original post was, should we remove Tommy Tuberville from his Senate committee that confirms men and women in the military? And again, the former head of the CIA quoted this post on X and said, how about from the human race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bit much. How's that fucking appropriate? You just basically said you want to assassinate him? Yeah. That's uh, inciting something. I don't know. What is the other people in, in jail for things that are like that? Uh, they're, they're in jail for protesting at PTA meetings. Oh, right. That's that's true. Yeah, being a, a and, good and, parent. A and, good parent. And saying Hail Marys outside of abortion clinics. Is that a football terminology? Apparently when the only place the touchdown's being scored is in a jail cell. Oosh. Donald Trump again was in Wolfsboro, New Hampshire yesterday and jumped right into the fact that this wouldn't have happened. You guessed it. Under Trump. If the election wasn't rigged and stolen, let's Ooh. hear it. There's something going on and we've got to be careful. We need smart leadership. If we don't have smart leadership, we're not going to have a country any longer. Less than four years ago, we had peace in the Middle East with the historic Abraham Accords. Today, we have an all-out war in Israel and it's going to spread very quickly. What a difference a president makes. Isn't it amazing? Though? There it is. Think what a country. Just think about this. Think what our country would have been like if the election had not been rigged and stolen. Rick, think of this. Just think of this. Israel would not now be under attack. Zero chance. These are things 100%. Ukraine would not be under attack by Russia. Zero chance. Places being wiped out, by the way. Wiped out. It's unbelievable. Those cities are just obliterated. Then they say two people were hurt. When you find the real death toll that's happening in Ukraine, you're not going to believe it. The numbers are horrible. Colonel McGregor always we would have to that. Mm -hmm. No hostile relationship with North Korea. I get along with Kim Jong Un very well. <laughs> A lot of nuclear weapons. We would have left Afghanistan with dignity, strength, and power instead of the worst embarrassment. In the history of our country, with dead soldiers, American hostages not taken back, 
And we left $85 billion worth of military equipment for the Taliban to have lots of fun with. And they're selling much of it. There's third largest merchant in the whole world of, of military equipment. They're selling, think of it, number three in the world. They're selling the equipment that we stupidly left behind. These are stupid people, very stupid people. Mm. Isn't that weird how... Stupid people run everything? The Taliban weren't even a thing like two years ago, and now they're the third largest arms dealer in the world. Our arms. <laughs> we saw some of those, uh, unfortunately, in videos throughout the Hamas terror attack on Israel this weekend. So Joe Biden just did like a minute 30 long press conference. He was flagged by Kamala Harris and Secretary Blinken. I don't even want to waste your ears. You know what's weird? I was listening to The Daily Show yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there's a thing out there. I, I don't know if we might have talked about this before. Ear aids? Ear aids from listening to KJP? He just, he, well, there was this video that came out that had a whole bunch of people that are in like MAGA singing like We Are the World song. So they had a whole bunch of people that are in MAGA sing like this We Are the World version of We Are the MAGA. Mm -hmm. And he said he developed ear AIDS and possibly ear syphilis from listening to it. Yeah. It was pretty awful. It seems reasonable. <laughs> Speaking of ear AIDS. Joe Biden said the FBI is now working closely with state and local law enforcement to identify and disrupt any domestic threat that could emerge in connection to these horrific attacks in Israel. How do you feel about that? Say, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> They're definitely going to be on the radar. There needs to be more radar. There needs to be no radar. We were a lot of things when Donald Trump was president, and we are a lot of things when Joe Biden's the president. Now let's hear Donald Trump give the comparison. President, we had peace through strength, and now we have weakness, conflict, and chaos. The atrocities we're witnessing in Israel would never have happened if I was president. Would never have ever happened. When I was commander-in-chief, we reduced the Iranian economy, and I withdrew from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal, imposed the toughest ever sanctions on the regime, and imposed a strict travel ban to keep radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country. Now they're pouring into our country. They're pouring into our country. Joe Biden undid it. He undid it all and gave billions and billions of dollars to the world's top sponsor of terror, tossing Israel to the bloodthirsty terrorists and jihadists. I don't disagree with him there. We already pointed out in our first segment, again, a, 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 an international trade industry and revenue generated from oil sales in Iran was around $4 billion in the last year of the Trump administration is now back up to $70 billion annually and it's just disgusting to see how how our foreign policy is, is so night and day and the fact that there's been no accountability or carryover which to things you know when you talk about the borders and dealing with these state sponsors of terrorism like iran is you just have to be able to understand that there were things that you just should have left alone mm -hmm. you could have campaigned on it and just left them alone i don't think the press would have really hit joe biden hard on saying like man you said you were just going to open up the border for everybody but we we see like deportations are staying the same and not a lot of people are coming in you should change like the press isn't going to say like rip open our borders and let everybody in the press isn't also going to say man donald trump really choked the shit out of iran and almost completely collapsed the country to an internal revolution you should really just give them back like 65 billion dollars they had last year so so they could be a country and operate normally again and give them some people that are more valuable than that money 
Last cup I'm going to play with the president, but before I do, guys, wherever you're listening today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, remember to subscribe to the show, follow us, and make sure it's downloaded. and helps us out in the top 100, the algorithms as well, and we come up in suggestions more often. In addition to that, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit the notification bell. One of the biggest concerns a lot of people have, apparently Joe Biden, now that he's activated DHS and the FBI to be investigating people on, on possible sleeper cells within the United States is, are people coming across our borders going to be the ones who conduct the attacks here now, especially when you talk about nearly 2 million gotaways over the course of the last three years? What do you think? Yes. The answer is yes. Those are the people that are going to conduct these terror attacks. 100%. President Trump thinks so as well. Let's hear him. But the same people that attacked Israel are pouring into our once beautiful USA throughout our totally open southern border. They're coming in at record levels. And they're planning, I don't know, maybe they're planning. Are they planning an attack at our homeland? I mean, I guess maybe that could happen, couldn't it, huh? Who would have thought what you have witnessed for the last two days could happen? Crooked Joe Biden and his boss, Barack Hussein Obama, <laughs> oh. did this to us. We would have the strongest economy in the world. We would. Yeah, it's the truth. And, you know, you look at the way things are now. You have the Biden administration doubling down on climate change and the, the, the prospectus of if the world temperature raises by 1.5 degrees, we're all finished. Other than, than if it gets raised really fast, a couple million degrees is a la a nuclear holocaust. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, worse Probably a little bit warmer. Cataclysmic, even. It's so funny. They keep buying up that beachfront property, too. I, I keep waiting for the seas to rise. Yeah, it's all those insurance companies, you know, they, they won't they won't let a fucking 20-year-old rent a car, but... <laughs> See, the mortgage rates are up to, like, 9% now. Ah, uh, it's so fucked because... So, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting over here and we're, you know, doing an interview and I'm not really talking too much, I'll, I'll fire up the... The old real estate website, whichever one happens that? to be. The Zillow Orator. The Zillow Orator. And it is depressing. I have to like, you know, there's like a button you press to like hide this listing because you keep seeing like, oh, this is a reasonably priced fucking place. And it's a goddamn literal crack house. Like they don't even bother sweeping all the trash out of the fucking house. Mm -hmm. They just take pictures and say it's a fixer ready for you to make all your potential changes i'm telling you right now make it your dream home needs a little love and tlc and it's i saw a fucking garden shed i shit you not it was a walkway next to an apartment complex that they built a quote-unquote tiny home on and it's four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in san diego and it's 250 square feet or some bullshit like that it's ridiculous it's like three of our studios Literally. I should rent out our studio. Uh, listen, that's $4,000 mortgage right there. Right? It's wild. But you know what? President Trump has at least provided some insight on, and reminder on how great America was with its world footing just a few short years ago. And next year when we head to the ballot box, we have the opportunity. I'm hoping people are, are really starting to listen more and more to return to that greatness. And not only that, but safety, security, and stability. I, I could go for some stability right now. There's just so many people. When you walk out of your house in the morning, if you especially if you live in a major major, if you city, don't trip over a crackhead. 
It's it's the truth. Or like, get robbed. You you have to take into consideration. Could could today be the day I'm walking down the street with my iPods in and someone just comes up from behind me and blows my head off? Well, your first mistake is do not walk around with your fucking headphones in. Yeah. If you do, one. Only one. Yeah. Situational it, awareness is huge. It, especially right now when people are robbing, killing, and floating in on lawn chairs. And there's no support for any of the mental health issues are and drug epidemic that's affecting our country right now. So we're gonna we're gonna cap it there with President Trump. We're still gonna take a look at the Speaker of the House vote in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're gonna jump in with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax. But before we even do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big, busy edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He is the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club. He's also the executive director of the National Constitutional Law Union, one of our great friends. And really excited to be sitting down again with Mr. Gavin Wax. Gavin, thanks for coming back on the show. Great to be back on Steak for Breakfast. Love you guys. We love when you come and uh, provide a little commentary for our listenership. So listen, I want to jump right into the biggest story of the Newswire right now. It's obviously what's going on, the Palestinian-led Hamas attack that happened in Israel over the weekend. I think the New York Young Republican Club, led by you, was one of the first legitimate organizations to put out any kind of an official statement condemning the acts. Do you want to tell our listenership of... Not only how fast your guys' reaction time was, but by why the narrative that you guys pushed was the absolute right one that's kind of dominating the cycle right now. Yeah, listen, I mean, what, what's happening in, in Israel near the Gaza Strip, it, it's an absolute tragedy, uh, horror, barbarism, you know, just, just some of the most disgusting scenes and sights you can imagine. Um, and, you know, the New York Young Republican Club, you know, we have many Jewish members. Uh, we, you know, we're based in New York City. It's one of the largest, I think the largest uh, Jewish metropolitan area in the, in the in the world, frankly, even outside of Israel, um, and you know we were we were very quick. I think we were one of the first organizations, certainly first political or Republican organizations in the state, uh, to issue a statement uh, condemning the attacks, uh, condemning Hamas, and uh, you know reasserting or uh, you know stating that Israel has uh, you know the complete right to defend themselves and their citizens against these types of you know brutal. Uh, acts of terrorism. And, uh, you know, we, when we issued the statement, you know, we, we really didn't even have all the details yet. It was still uh, a blur, just, you know, bits of information, just the first images and videos were starting to come out. You know, people really didn't know what was happening. So, uh, you know, we kept it focused on uh, what we knew at the time and, uh, you know, what we know to be true. And um, also just reasserting the basic facts that Israel is a sovereign state that has every right to defend itself, its people, its borders, um, and that we encourage them to do so. And uh, I think that's the appropriate statement. I think in the hours and the days uh, since the 
uh, news first broke. Uh, obviously, you know, emotions uh, have been running high. And I think, you know, some people have been a bit blinded by that and have resorted to saying things that are probably just, you know, best described as uh, counterproductive. Uh, you don't want to surrender the moral high ground uh, to Hamas. You don't want to surrender the moral high ground to terrorists. Um, but I have full confidence uh, in the Israeli Defense Forces uh, that they are going to, you know, respond to these attacks uh, in a measured way, in a way that's going to minimize any collateral damage, any death of civilians. But obviously, uh, you know, the facet of modern urban warfare is that there's going to be a lot of collateral damage, especially when you have an organization like Hamas who uses human shields, which operates in, you know, areas that are, you know, normally reserved for civilians and uh, all the rest. But obviously there's no good answers here. It's going to be messy. It's going to be bloody. Uh, it's a sad day uh, for the world, and it just goes to show that without American leadership, American leadership that's promoting uh, peace through strength, and American leadership that's promoting you know sensible policies uh, to create stability in the world, uh, policies that were pushed by uh, President Donald J. Trump, uh, without uh, someone like him and his leadership, uh, the world is a much more violent and deadly place. And it's a sad, uh, it's a sad day, and uh, I'm hoping and praying that uh, peace can be achieved, but. Obviously, you can't have peace uh, with enemies and 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 barbarians and monsters like Hamas operating uh, freely in the Gaza Strip. So uh, we have to be sensible here, but we also have to be uh, tactical and deliberate and make sure. Uh, and I and I hope that the Israelis uh, will do this, wipe out Hamas once and for all. But we'll see how things unfold over the next few days. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting few days. You know, when when you look at it in the totality of circumstances, Israel hasn't really started to punch back. They're amassing their forces in, in strategic locations. They're obviously calling up a lot of people to, you know, uh, out of the reserves and things of that nature. And just about everybody inside the country participates in the military in some fashion throughout the course of the young adult life. And, you know, I think the biggest thing here, Gavin, is, and the point I wanted to make, you leaning into your initial statement is, one of the things we lack in this country in a great deal right now is, is true leadership. And I thought, you know, coming out of that in, into the weekend, the morning after the attack and the invasion began, to see you guys out ahead of the narrative and stuff like that, how important is it for conservatives in, in such a weird time we live in where nobody wants to hurt each other's feelings, when you have, uh, you know, pro-Palestinian rallies in, in Times Square, when you have literally elected officials like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib coming to work this morning and, and, and unfurling a Palestinian flag outside of her congressional office up on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., for you guys to get out ahead of the narrative and show your support and solidarity with Israel. Listen, I mean, you know, there's been a uh, a, a massive movement from this sort of global Marxist postmodern, you know, left, I don't even know really how to describe it, this sort of third world Marxist leftist movement to, uh, you know, delegitimize Israel. I mean, you saw things like they came out and they said, oh, these settlers were killed, they were occupiers, yada, yada, yada. I mean, what's so ridiculous is that the areas that Hamas attacked were within the you know, pre-1967 borders of Israel, or even some of the most, you know, traditionally liberal uh, you know, individuals on the issue have said will always remain a part of Israel, you know, within the 1967 borders. These were not settlements in the West Bank or in Judea, Samaria, however you want to uh, approach that issue. These were, you know, communities, towns and cities within Israel proper. And these were not military targets. This was a, a rave, uh, a rave for peace, you know, 
typically more a, a left wing audience attending this 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 rave and they were massacred brutally uh raped murdered kidnapped beheaded now we see some of them were you know were burnt alive i mean these are just brutal brutal crimes and this is not unique i mean we saw the same thing in the bataclan in 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 paris we saw the same thing with the attacks in nice in france you know we've seen these types of you know radical islamist acts of violence across europe and you know they'll try to coat you know this the, the, these horrible reprehensible acts with oh it's decolonialism oh they're they're occupiers oh you know these are soldiers yeah everyone in israel every jewish citizen of israel has to serve in the army so at one point or another uh after the age of 18 the vast majority of them uh, yeah, probably did serve. Does that give you the right to commit war crimes? Does that give you the right to massacre them? Absolutely not. I mean, what we're seeing is sort of this dehumanization and this legitimization of these absolutely reprehensible acts. And it's something that we've seen repeated over and over again, not just in Israel, but also in Europe and also across the world. Uh, and it's always following the same pattern. And, uh, you know, for the most part, when it's not in Israel, there's wide condemnation. But what we've seen recently, because the fact that it happens to be in Israel, there has been this sort of leg legitimization of these attacks. And it's it's absolutely you know reprehensible. I mean, any nation that's suffered an equivalent attack, especially in terms of, you know, the casualties and the loss of life, you know, would be outraged and would be doing, you know, exactly what Israel is doing, preparing to, to punch back, preparing to attack back. That is the entire basis of the state is to protect you know the livelihoods ultimately of their citizens and 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 that's really the fundamentals here and uh war is hell war is brutal uh but we have to understand that it's going to continue uh with the sort of weakness and the sort of rhetoric that the left promotes which has become increasingly violent i mean you're seeing many people that are more you know centrist liberal democrats who are now becoming outraged and attacking the dsa attacking the left for the language that they've used that the, these disgusting rallies you know basically celebrating the murders and the killings and then trying to you know play these these word games or these that these rhetorical arguments to try to you know cover up the absolutely heinous crimes i mean the whole thing is just really disgusting and you know twitter over the last or excuse me x over the last 72 hours or so has really just become very vile yeah and you've really seen how tribalistic and 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 you know this sort of bloodlust language that's happened uh, and it just goes to show that modernity and the modern world is really just you know hanging on by a few threads that we really can return to you know bronze age level violence uh in a matter of moments and you see the scenes out of israel you know modern you know highway and modern little towns and suburbs, you know, just being absolutely ransacked. It's sort of visceral in a way uh, that I think not a lot of Americans uh, can really grapple with. And I think that's why you've seen such a strong uh, reaction in the United States and elsewhere, because the violence is almost kind of surreal to see. It's almost you, you don't expect to see this type of violence uh, take place in this day and age. But because of social media, and because of all, you know, the interconnectedness of the world, we're seeing this in real time. We're seeing scenes and, and violence that people didn't think that other humans were capable of. And it just goes to show that, uh, you know, we're living in, in, in crazy times and they're only going to get crazier without the right leadership. Yeah, that's the thing right there, and it leads me right into my next point that I want to touch with you on, Gavin. You want to talk about a way to kind of corral all of this uncertainty that's going around in in the world, especially here when you talk about domestically and, and the lack of leadership in the United States. Obviously, we saw what Joe Biden's weekend looked like. He had a staff and family-led barbecue at the White House with live music while the attack was you know basically going on in real time, and then he parlayed that into uh, – 
being available for three hours on Monday morning before putting a lid on it and then, you know, issuing a statement that said he'd been meeting with the special counsel for the last two days. So that's why he wasn't readily available when the world is literally, you know, a tinderbox that that just keeps sparking. And the fact of the matter is there is a leadership vacuum in this country. There is a plausible solution. I think we're both in agreement that it is President Trump. He had some amazing and strong portions of his week last week that has put him not only even higher in the polls right now, but I think more people from the outside looking in, I'm talking about independents, moderates, maybe even walkaway Democrats, are looking at him as a viable option to bring normalcy back to this country. Uh, he, he showed up in a Manhattan courtroom last week, and uh, even though you know the radical left DA and judge who are trying to persecute him and erase his legacy said this was for show, by the time he left and got on a plane for Iowa, an appellate court had ruled that they would be holding, uh, as part of the appeals process, the liquidation of the Trump Corporation in New York City. So just his presence kind of added probably to that decision coming down. In addition, he spoke at two great events in Iowa over the weekend and, and, and then finished up strong yesterday in New Hampshire, uh, obviously two of the first five primary states. When you see the amount of energy, when you see the amount of optimism and, and reality when he talks about his policies compared to the policy that are being enacted now that President Trump brings to the campaign trail and the perspective of being the 47th president of the United States. How great does it make you feel that we're, you know, not only a part of this movement, but we're watching one of the biggest political icons in the history of our country, uh, you know, basically willing himself back into the White House and getting this country back on track? Listen, it's 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 a great feeling. Uh, I think there's a lot of positivity in the air, a lot of optimism in the uh, MAGA America First movement. I think a lot of people are seeing, uh, you know, that the polls are showing, you know, historic leads for President Trump, something that he never had in the polls uh, in 2020 or 2016. They're showing uh, they're seeing the utter collapse of this Biden regime, of this Biden administration, their utter failures and incompetence and corruption on the world stage. I think people understand they can see the dichotomy between the successes, the prosperity, and the peace achieved under the Trump administration in four short years under massive duress and pressure. They could compare that, those successes, that peace, that prosperity with the lack of peace, the economic destitution, and all the other uh, issues and, and crises facing the country and the world under the Biden administration. It's a very stark contrast. And I think all these things together are creating a sense of optimism, but we got to remain vigilant. We got to make sure, you know, we don't rest on our laurels. We got to run like we're 10 behind, even though we've seen some polls that have shown us, you know, up by 10, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but listen, I think, uh, you know, we need President Trump now more than ever. Uh, and I think he's in the fight of his life. I think uh, this country's in the fight for its life. I think he's a proxy uh, for that fight. They're coming after him uh, because they want to come after us. That's uh, the kind of uh, sentiment that he has been expressing lately. And it's true. Uh, so listen, we got we got some time left. We got to get through this stupid kitty uh, sideshow known as the Republican primary. You know, I know they want to drag it on the donors, the establishment, the uniparty. They want to drain money, resources, and energy from MAGA and President Trump on this spectacle that we all know is going nowhere. The polls aren't budging for these guys. Uh, no matter how many debates, no matter how many, no matter how many relaunches, no matter how many, you know, staged photo ops and, and lame events they host, uh, you know, President Trump is the, uh, you know, uh, an indisputable uh, leader of the Republican Party and is the leader we, we need right now. He is the best shot to take back the White House. He brings the best agenda forward and his leadership is desperately needed on the world stage before, you know, we really come to the brink of World War Three. So, uh, you know, we got to get through this primary and then we got to focus on the general. And I and I fully support the campaign calling on the end of these debates. Yep. So RNC resources can be focused on, you know, 
you know, doing things to, 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 to advance the actual cause of electing a Republican in 2024, rather on, rather than on these spectacles and sideshows. So, you know, overall, very optimistic. We've got a lot of work ahead of us and we need to stay vigilant. No, it's the truth. And, you know, for all of our listenership out there who doesn't think that this isn't, as Gavin alluded to, simply about money and draining it, making President Trump's job that much harder in the general election cycle, rather than the the process and the respect for it as people like Ronna McDaniel and those associated with the RNC and, and, and the K Street element of the GOP always allude to is the simple fact that he said, you know, the polls are not moving. In fact, even though they're by smaller margins now because President Trump has gobbled up so much of the polls, he still continues to increase. And then in a time like this, you would think that some of those in leadership of the National Republican Committee and the GOP would have to sit down and be like, okay, the crime in the border was bad. The economy makes it worse. Geopolitical elements of things that the Biden administration has kind of done it's bad, but then when you look at what happened in, let's just say, Israel this weekend, I mean, there was a major pipeline in, in the, the Baltic corridor pipeline in Finland was bombed this morning. They said the only thing that could have created an incident this big was obviously an act of terror. At some point, these people would sit down and be like, maybe it is time to kind of approach all of these other campaigns and start to say, eh, you know, 2 3% really ain't going to cut it when Donald Trump's at 30, 40, 50, 60 in some polls. Maybe we should think about folding it up and getting behind them and calling it, you know, a race until 2028. But it's not that, you know, they, they talk about the integrity of the process and this is the way it's always been. So they're going to be stubborn on it and kind of ride it out. But the fact of the matter is those who have been on the Trump train since day one, like we have been here on steak for breakfast, obviously like Gavin and his entire community over there at the New York young Republican club have been as well. Know that this is something that we're just going to have to fight a little bit harder for to make sure that he wins back the oval office in 2024. Gavin, last thing I want to touch with you on it. Always important to talk about when you come on the show is the great work you guys are doing over at the club. You guys have the club's biggest event coming up this winter. Uh, we want our listenership to find out as much as they can about it, where they could register to get tickets if they're still available. And then maybe some of the guests and, and speakers you have coming to, uh, you know, share the great message you guys got going over at the club at the annual gala. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the New York Young Republican Club's 111th annual gala, December 9th at Cipriani Wall Street, the largest uh, and probably most uh, exquisite venue in the city of New York. We have confirmed as one of our first uh, speakers, Nigel Farage, leader of the Brexit movement, former wow. leader of UKIP, uh, the British conservative firebrand. Uh, he will be coming uh, on a rare trip to the United States to address an American audience. So he's the first uh, speaker we've announced. Many more to come. We have also a, a litany uh, of great conservative guests that will be in attendance. Obviously, Steve Bannon, Roger Stone. We'll have Congressman Gosar. Congressman Mike Collins uh, will have, you know, uh, tons of different guests uh, that will be in attendance this year. We're really exciting, uh, really excited about what's going to you know, come together at the end of the year. Uh, our last gala before the 2024 election, we're expecting, you know, six, 700 people uh, in a black tie affair. Uh, so we definitely encourage everyone to get their tickets while they're still available. They have been selling uh, like crazy, but it's going to be a great evening. Uh, we're going to have a lot of the uh, the greats in the America First movement come together uh, for a nice meal uh, and a nice evening uh, celebrating uh, America First and all the victories to come. Uh, in 2024, as we were discussing. So uh, thank you guys for uh, helping promote it as always. And you can check it out, nyyrc.com. You go to the events section, you'll have a link there to go uh, 
check out the gala, the details to get tickets and uh, a lot more information on that will be coming out very soon. I'm just saying, if you guys have the opportunity to see it in person for all of us that usually follow it on social media or some of the video, you know, you guys put out recaps of, of the event shortly thereafter at Gavin. Like if you have the opportunity to get there in real life, you have to get your tickets and get there. Not only is that guest list sound quite robust in America first, but here's the deal. Every week or two, it seems like they're adding another just America First all-star to that list, and I'm sure it's going to continue to expand as they head into the fall right now. So, Gavin, always a pleasure hosting you and great sitting down and getting your insight today. I think you bring so much to the table. We can't talk enough, and we definitely highlight on the show. So the the young youth movement inside of America First has re-energized, I think, the base. I think it's also helped uh, part of the galvanization process of us all coming together and and seeing such young leaders uh, be able to come to the forefront and and make the hard decisions and and comment on the, the hard topics that are really helping President Trump be so successful in this presidential election primary season. And I think it's only going to continue on to the general. We're going to live link the club, obviously the NCLU, and uh, your website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and wants to check you out, where can they find you? Absolutely. Well, you guys can follow me at Gavin Wax, G-A-V-I-N-W-A-X, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the rest. You can follow the New York and Republican Club at N-Y-Y-R-C, uh, N-Y-Y-R-C.com, my website, GavinWax.com for all my latest columns uh, and other updates. And you can get a link to pre-order uh, my upcoming book, uh, The Emerging Populist Majority, which hits shelves uh, January 23rd of 2024. Uh, so excited about that and, uh, you know, detailing the political future uh for america over the next few decades and uh thank you guys again for having me on no always a pleasure we'll be live linking that book in the show description as well gavin this is the president of the new york young republican club and the executive director at the nclu mr gavin wax thanks for joining us on the show thank you guys you any scenario that's a decision by the conference i'll allow the conference to make whatever decision whether i'm speaker or not I'm a member of this body. It's become McCarthy. He didn't seem to rule it out today when at a press conference. I'm just talking to our colleagues. We got good support, and I'll continue to do that. I haven't talked to Kevin today. Will you go, de- will you go to the floor if you don't have 217 votes in the conference? I've said all along we need 217, 218, whatever that number is, but we need, we need to sell that in the conference before we go to the floor. And that last point, so critical at this moment, because to nominate and elect a House Speaker, first, under normal conference rules, a majority of the conference would have to nominate that person. That is half of 221 members. But there is discussion now of trying to make sure that person actually has the vote of 217 members in order to avoid a long, drawn-out floor fight on the House floor. And Jim Jordan telling me right there moments ago that he's trying to get full, essentially full unity behind his bid, won't accept the Speaker's nomination if he simply gets a majority of the House Republican conference. So that is a debate that will happen behind closed doors tonight, tomorrow, and then Wednesday, the closed door meeting before they head to the House floor as soon as Thursday. Well, we're going to play Speaker of the House vote volume two. I thought thought it was going to be Jordan versus Scalise, but apparently Kevin McCarthy is wedging his name in there. Really? I mean, there's a always Kevin caucus is what they're calling it. But he wasn't going to. I said always Kevin caucus. Always Kevin? Mm. Kevin! How do you feel about that, Noah? Fuck Kevin. Yeah. We got to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't uh, discredit any of the great works that Steve Scalise has done as a congressman as well. But, you know, the fact that he was almost murdered during the Capitol baseball game a couple years ago by a Bernie Sanders supporter, 
and that he's just overcome uh, apparently fairly well to blood cancer. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. It's you know, and he's part of leadership, and he's just aligned with Kevin McCarthy, so you can't expect to get much of the same. And, and here's the reason why I'm looking at that that way. You you have house reps in Louisiana where Steve Scalise is from who aren't willing to endorse him. They're endorsing Jim Jordan. So I just think when you look at the, you know, totality of the circumstances and the fact that we are in some dire straits and times right now, I know that they've been, you know, kind of meeting on and off since yesterday. I, I did talk to a couple of our America firsters. Mike Collins said he's all in for Jim Jordan. Corey Mills says it's going pretty smoothly and he's all in for Jim Jordan. So, you know, it it's the pinnacle of, journalism when they actually get these guys on the show and okay so Jim Jordan looks like he's going to be the likely nominee he's probably going to get a vote on the floor CNN brings him on and they're like what should we ask him about his platform how he's going to differ from you know Kevin McCarthy is he going to uh, decide to work with or maybe even a little bit against since they have the slim majority in the house against the Biden regime none of those things let's climate, he- climate change let's hear what they actually asked him number two do you have evidence that the president uh, when he was president, now former president, actually declassified these documents before oh, he took them. Oh, oh, oh. I go on the president's word and he said he did. And the Supreme Court said that's what counts. So we can have all the all the things Jack Smith wants to say, but everyone sees this for the political operation it is. The standard is the standard. I didn't set the standard. The Constitution and the Supreme Court did, and they did it in a unanimous fashion, and it was opinion written by Justice Blackman. So that's the standard. That's the fact. Jack Smith can write whatever he wants, but this is a this is so political in tw- <laughs> Jeez. Good job, Dana Bash. Yeah. You know, I, and, and I mentioned now, actually, before we get into it, no, it was great catching up with Gavin Wax, right? They got such a good operation going on over there at the New oh, York yeah. Republican Club. The we got to hang, hang out with those guys at some point, for sure. I tell you what, I keep stressing it to our listenership. The youth movement in America First has really... It's all that matters. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's, it was the missing component from the last two election cycles. And, you know, whether it was uninterest in 2020 because of the pandemic or everybody was just so burnt out and then kind of the disengagement with things like the Dobbs ruling and how bad Joe Biden was making this country at that point that it seemed like a lot of the young people weren't engaged enough to, you know, make a difference in the midterm elections last year. I think now the way Donald Trump is is kind of all-inclusive. It's really going to be something that uh, you can't make up for in an election cycle, and I think people like Gavin Wax are at the forefront of that with the Absolute chads over at the New York Republican Club. So I did mention the only Kevin caucus of the party that's forming. I've heard it's anywhere between 50 and and, and 70 House members. Really? That many? Yeah. Someone who used Kevin Bucks to uh, finance his campaign and get over the finish line in the 2022 midterm election. Mike Lawler has been doing a lot of news lately. So is John Duarte out here in California, who's basically like the West Coast version of Lawler, let's hear him kind of weigh in on the possibility of Kevin McCarthy coming back. A lot of people believe that Kevin McCarthy is the right person to lead us. So do you have a preference between Scalise and uh, Jordan at this moment, if those are the only two options? Look, we will have our conversation tonight. Uh, I've spoken with uh, the prospective candidates. Uh, We'll have our conversation and then see where we go from there. But... To me, I've said repeatedly, if there's not accountability for what just happened, 
how do how do you work as a conference? How do you how do you actually govern uh, if eight people can upend uh, what ninety six percent of the conference believes in? Uh, and work with 208 Democrats, including Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, AOC, Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and Hakeem Jeffries to remove a Republican speaker. How do you deal with that? There'd be a block to, to try to you know block of, of folks like yourself and others who believe the motion to vacate needs to be reformed to make that demand and make sure. This Look, this happen. is bigger than the motion to vacate. This is much bigger than the motion to vacate. That's a procedural thing. At the end of the day. Uh, if you don't have people who are willing to compromise within the conference and work as a unit, then it makes it very difficult. So this is much bigger than a motion to vacate, where eight Democrats aligned with two, uh, eight Republicans aligned with 208 oh, Democrats to remove the House Republican Speaker. Uh, to me, uh, this is about a lot more than that. I know it's a federal you know, how about the accountability for McCarthy doing the shit that he fucking agreed to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I really, first of all, a freshman congressman shouldn't be talking like that. Fuck Kevin. That There's no um, leadership leg that that guy has to stand on. He's not even through his first session of Congress first. And this guy has been coming off as just some, like, bourgeois-type asshole on every news outlet that'll take him. It's more CNN and MSNBC than it is Fox News. Asshole! But he did appear on Boomer Sweats last night uh, on the opposite side of a panel, which uh, had San Diego's Daryl Issa in it as well, who's all in for Jim Jordan. So just know that the people who have got us to this situation in regards to Congress not getting work done, working with the Biden administration and promises not kept, are working even harder behind the scenes right now to make sure that there's going to be some gunk thrown in the gears of the process that we thought was just going to be Jordan versus Glace last week. What? Can you imagine if McCarthy got reinstalled, how fucking disappointing that would be? Mm-hmm. And then they're going to, what, modify the motion to vacate or what would they say? Uh Maybe even just take it off the table. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. So it's like it's like the voting irregularities. It's like, oh, we're just going to change the laws so you can't fix any problems. So this person can go in and do whatever the fuck they want, no accountability yep. whatsoever. And as long as you're part of the good old boys. You're fucking good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they keep saying that these House Republicans sided. And, and there was a 80% disapproval rate for Congress. 80%. A group of 40 House Republicans have signed a letter calling out eight of their colleagues for voting with the Democrats to remove former Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his position last week. So a strongly worded letter of discontent. Okay, well, as of as of usual, that does nothing, so who cares? Yeah, but it, you, know, you, you say you have these elements in there who are actively working to prevent Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise from even getting to a vote because they'll never have 218. There you go. Mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy also did some weird speaking events this week, and I, I guess as the former speaker and, and in-house leadership, it was probably appropriate for him to get into the news cycle when all the stuff with Israel was going out. Yeah, how do you think he pitches that? He calls him up. It's like, hi, just want to know if you'd like me to come speak. It was actually my job before, so. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of me. Maybe you've heard of me. I'm actually the, well, I was the speaker. And he, he had presented on Saturday from the Capitol a five-point plan for addressing... For getting back in as a speaker? The crisis at the moment. I'm going to read these to you. No, Noah, tell me where you hear uh, where, where one of these should probably be placed a little bit higher. Number one, uh-huh. rescue all American hostages. 
Okay. Number two, provide full support for our ally, Israel. Okay. Number three, confront Iran and the new axis of evil. Mm, don't like that. Mm. Mm. You ready? I'm not trying to give it away. Number four, focus oh, no. on securing our own open border. Oh, wait, what? Focus. Focus? Not secure it or close it. So really think about it. Maybe even send it a strongly worded letter to close itself. We're actually going to tape a strongly worded letter on the other side of the border barrier. And even it more. It says, please don't come in. Don't come. And even more nonsensical because it just should be standard practice for any human being. Number five, condemn all anti-Semitism in the United States. Duh. That's a gimme. Yeah. I saw on one of the. She went on a high note. Mm. Focus. <laughs> Focus. What does that even mean? That's just so fucking impotent. Well, we need to just focus on this problem. We're going to think about it. It's, it's the equivalent of saying we're going to put thoughts and prayers in a cannon and shoot them in the fucking ether. Or as I, my son likes to put it, I'll clean my room later. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Did you I, send him a strongly worded letter about cleaning his room? Strongly worded something. Yeah. He was on Meet the Fake Press this weekend. He was kind of dunking on Biden a little bit. Let's hear the former speaker. I understand where you're going with this. Yes. But none of that changes the fundamental issue here, that those eight still exist and that there isn't a Republican that has 217 votes, which would require... Well, we'll see. They they haven't been in the room yet. Give them the opportunity. Let them decide. But you could right now officially say that you're no longer interested in the job as you did last week. Look, the conference, if you want to talk about that, that's not why I'm here. We're, we're watching a war take before our eyes. But don't you, you know, think that's three, no, what I think is important, needs to be made? No, I think the clarity here is three years ago, there wasn't a war in Ukraine. Three years okay. ago, Israel didn't have the most Jewish individuals killed along with Americans since the Holocaust. So what I'm seeing right now is something that is leaderless. I have watched the president do a barbecue, tweet about things that nobody cares about, yeah, wrong, and put man. a lid on today when the world is looking for leadership. I laid out a five-point plan based upon my relationships with America Focus. and Israel, understanding the importance the border. Whatever happens in speakership is fine with me, but it's not fine with me watching the world fall around me. So is I want really? to make sure that we do mm-hmm. something about this. Sure about the that? other thing we need to do as well is we need to make sure we're vulnerable at our same time. It is it is an intel failure in America that we didn't know this was going to happen. And what's happening on our southern borders? Mm-hmm. Do you realize that in 2019, there wasn't one person caught on the FBI terrorist watch list? As of today, this year, there's 151. Right. That's They're coming from 100. No, no. This, Americans need to... Off track. Um, no, we're not getting yeah, off not track getting because off track. this is what's happening. You just had a report I where your own reporter was laying on the ground being shot at with our closest yes. ally, the, o- the only democracy in the Middle East. And what we're having here is a president that puts a lid on something with no idea. Right. And we're vulnerable because there could be a cell in America today. For that same reason... But you reason, don't have any evidence report. of that. There's no ev- you don't you know what I do have an evidence of? of? that. Well, let me give you the evidence. So no evidence I first went that? down to the border a number of years ago, math. and they told me they were catching people on the terrorist watch list. This administration okay. said I was lying. And you know what? I yep. wasn't lying. We were true. There's 160 different countries coming across there. There's but a number so, okay, of people so let's talk to, about the border. Let's talk, let, about, let's the, talk about let's the border. Talk, hmm. Let's talk about the border, but I'm not going to let you talk about the border. Doesn't I want to talk over you about the border, about talking about the border. We're going to focus on the border. Vagina. It doesn't seem like uh, nobody wants to play with Kevin anymore. Oh, man. I, it's just such a shame that he turned out to be such a shitbird. Like, he's very well-spoken. He's very intelligent, but he's bought and paid for. Yeah. 
he, he sold his soul. Yeah. So I do have a couple updates right now, Noah. Again, even On though focusing no, back to the Israel conflict with Hamas. So even though the leaders of Hamas have gone on social media uh-huh. and state television and openly praised Iran's help in conducting their terror attack on Israel over the course of the weekend, has ISIS's uh, Twitter or Zizzer gotten gotten any uh, input on this? Do you know. Tony Blinken has just announced that there have no evidence showing that Iran was behind the attack on Israel by Hamas. Yeah, there's never any evidence. We have no evidence because you don't look at the evidence. It's like the lawyers point out. You ignore out. the evidence. Uh, the evidence was dismissed on standing. Well, no, that's the thing. That's like all the lawyers who come on this show and say, like, Joe Biden fraud cases will never reap any fruits because obviously if you're committing fraud, the person who's doing it is not going to put himself in a position to be caught committing said fraud. Yeah, it's like taking the fifth. I'll take the fifth. Fifth. Also, I have a number. 20 confirmed missing Americans, which means likely hostages. Or dead. Yeah. So that's... that's so, okay. Hostages. Mm. When are we going to get demands? What are those demands? How much more money is this going to cost us? And is this administration again going to cave to fucking terrorists? Now, I want our people back, yes. Mm-hmm. But we've literally put a fucking it's like it's like playing one of those video games where there's dollar signs over somebody's head and you just fucking hit them cuz No, know. I I mean, Israel has alluded to like there is probably going to be some of their human capital wasted in the counteroffensive into Gaza. Oh yeah. Because these monsters in Hamas, they take those people and they'll like literally Yeah, hey, we're gonna start cutting scalps off, you know, every five minutes until you cave to whatever we want. Yeah. Or, or they just tie them to a rocket launcher that's on top of a hospital or a mosque or an orphanage. Ugh. Yeah. They, they do do that stuff, remember? Yeah, that's fucked up. And then Matthew Miller, who's the State Department spokesman who's given this presser right now, would not give any insight on what the U.S. plans on doing to either negotiate or retrieve the 20 Americans who are missing right now in Israel from Gaza. Wait, what? Yeah. He he said... Uh, Not my problem? No, he just said, refuses to say what the United States will do or will have to do to get the American hostages that are being currently held by Hamas. Wait, who is that again? That's the uh, State Department spokesman, so that's a surrogate for Tony Blinken. That's Matt Miller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another empty suit. Not impressed. No. Not even a strongly worded letter to Hamas? <laughs> I want to remind everybody we're listening today. No matter what podcasting platform it is, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please make sure you're subscribed and following us. Make sure the shows are downloading. helps us out bigly. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio is where you can find us. Also, social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Rounding it up here. We've still got NC1 congressional candidate coming in here, Sandy Smith. She was a fan favorite during the 2022 midterm election cycle. She's back today and looking to win that House seat in North Carolina one and give us another vote in the House of Representatives next year for America First. But before that, in our last audio clip of the day, we haven't heard too much about Matt Gates since the motion to vacate. However, he was well received at the Tim Pool yeah. live podcasting I event. listened to a lot of that, yeah. Heroes welcome, to say the least. Yeah. And again, I can't reiterate the fact. He made some good points, too. Where we're at right now, you can't give these eight congressmen and women who voted to remove Kevin McCarthy enough credit. You know, it would it would have just been status quo, and we would have been rolling down the street to a kinetic war with Iran today if there was no motion to vacate, 
and no one challenged Kevin McCarthy because he would be doing whatever it takes to work with the Biden regime and the war hawks on both sides of the aisle to make this situation go away. I just don't understand how they're going to spit all this shit about climate change when war is potentially the most violent upheaval and destructive force of the climate possible. You know, there's been a pretty big push to uh, remove Gates from Congress. Yeah, that'll never happen. Well, he he gave a little bit of insight in it yesterday on the news. Let's hear it. Concerned are you about that, that you may lose your job over this? Well, the voters of Florida's first congressional district sent me here with about 70% of the vote. So I think that anyone trying that to chance, kick me out lady. of Congress because they didn't like me would have a bone to pick with them. But think about what we're saying. I'm the guy saying we need a budget, that we need to follow the Budget Control Act of 1974. And because merely I wanted to hold Kevin McCarthy to his own word that he would follow the law. If you lose your job, is it worth it? Congress? If you lose That's your crazy. job, will it be worth it? I'm pretty sure he just said he's not going to lose his job, dumbass. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I am here to fight for my constituents, and I'm here to ensure that America is not on a path to financial ruin. Yeah. Now, your average American family right now is spending $700 more each and every month for the same household goods and services. Con we are about true. to refinance $8 trillion in debt from low interest rates to high interest rates. Yep. That's going to mean that the APR on every American credit card is about to go up. People are going to be crushed, and debt and inflation are driven by government spending that cannot continue. We're spending $7 trillion a year Man, and only, uh, only taking in five. So I, to me, people who are willing to drive $2 trillion annual deficits are the agents of chaos. Yep. The people who want budgets are actually agents of, of regular order. Yeah, exactly. And how do you fucking argue with any of what he just said? We want government individuals in power to be accountable for what the taxpayers want and what the American people want. And when you tell us you're going to do something, you better fucking do it or we're going to yank your shit right off the fucking carpet. That's the thing, Noah. I did find something to back up that argument right there. There was an article that came out from Politico on Sunday that had some polls taken on the motion to vacate. 60% of the total people who, were, who uh, were polled in this, said they agreed with the motion to vacate the speakership. What's the demographic and how many people? It was like 2,900 people, and I think it was lean Democrat by like 4%. 60% of the people that were polled agreed that it was time to remove Kevin McCarthy. But here's the next Wait, one. it was leaning Democrat? Dem those are mostly Democrats it's that said they were cool with it? 4% lean Democrat. So it was oh. like, out of 2,900, it was probably like, you know, 1,300 were Republican, the rest were Democrats. It's not too bad. Yeah. 60% agreed with the motion to vacate, but here's the thing. 75% of all polled thought Kevin McCarthy was generally ineffective in his role as Speaker of the House. And then when you look at the actual bi-party breakdown, 54% of conservatives agreed and 70% of Democrats uh, agreed with the motion to vacate. So it seems like on average, 60% of the American public thought what Matt Gates and the rest of the Gates 8 did was needed to happen. the prudent move for the country. But yeah. that's, that's the thing. The people in Congress are going to say, oh, well, when 96% of the caucus uh, thinks that I should remain speaker and it takes 4%, well, guess what? Those 4% of the caucus are representing 60% of the American people. Yeah, are these 96% uh, of the caucus that are inside trading and making themselves fucking trillionaires by the time they're done, if they ever fucking make it out of Congress before they fucking die sitting there? That's the truth. Or the How many people in Congress have actually died while they were sitting there and people didn't notice for like a week? Well, you know, it's it pretty probably hasn't happened, but you know what I mean. 
I just thought it was so weird that Diane Feinstein announced voted her, after she was dead. She announced her reelection. She voted, and then she died. No, she voted after she died too. There, she she literally cast a vote after she was dead. That's fine. Like that bullshit where they go and they fucking hit the hit the buzzer for everybody mm-hmm. in the vicinity. Like, how is that okay? Oh, that's the same way we vote. The memes of it's hot down here and John McCain saying it's dry heat. <laughs> Those are my favorite ones. Is he raising the roof? He's in the basement. Of no, hell. is he doing this? Yeah. It's a dry heat. Yeah. So listen, it's been a busy week, busy weekend. Obviously, a lot of tragedy encompassing what's going on in Israel right now. I just want to reiterate, fuck Kevin. And, and then when you talk about, you know, trying to do something undysfunctionally like we so ever can never do about Capitol Hill. Ever can never ever? Just when you think you're getting a Scalise versus Jordan head-to-head matchup, you've got some always Kevin party goers throwing his name in there. So we're going to see how this plays out. Obviously, we're going to have a lot better look at it on our Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I would really love to lead into the show talking about the new speaker and it not being Kevin McCarthy. I swear if he gets back in there. But who see... I mean, can we just get the guy that we wanted originally? That's that's what everybody wanted originally. Trump? No. Oh, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, uh, again, we kind of gave you guys the methodology that I think Jim Jordan is using. I've I've kind of put that insight together after talking to a couple of congressmen and women who frequent the show, and and you know the fact that he's gotten all of his investigations and and chairmanships rolling and that he's just going to be able to put band-aids over them, put a band-aid over the speakership and then give it to someone who is going to push Donald Trump's agenda next session uh, with the speaker's gavel is probably the way he's going. We're going to keep tracking it as we're getting ready to jump in with Sandy Smith, but let's for one more time check in with one of our sponsors as well. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake or doing some yard work around the house, Our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She is the GOP nominee in the 2020 election cycle from NC1. She's running again, and we're very enthusiastically welcoming Miss Sandy Smith back to the show. Welcome. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing great. Uh, We're going to do even greater next fall when you win your election and get up to Congress because I'm pretty sure you've noticed, but in case our listenership isn't in tune yet, we need some help up there. Yeesh. Isn't that the truth? Sandy, we want to know, just to get things started, what went into your, again, decision to make this run in NC1? And here's the thing. When you see the way things are unfolding in Capitol Hill, I mean, we had an historic motion to vacate last week, first time it's ever happened in the history of uh, Congress, you know, and then you see today they're looking to have another knockdown, drag out fight over the speaker. I mean, it looked like Jordan and Scalise going in, but now Kevin McCarthy and a small delegation of uh, House reps there kind of, you know, pushing for him again as well. So we, we need to bring back some normalcy, but we also need to get some more congressmen and women up there who are 
literally America first. I think when the motion to vacate came to the floor and, and you saw the way that people who you might think, okay, they're kind of moderate, but they're America first ish, just kind of turn their backs on, on obviously a failed speakership of Kevin McCarthy. We're at the point right now where, where we need to get the people up there and, and pad these numbers next fall. Absolutely. And, and you're a hundred percent right. We need you know, less of the career politicians. We need more of the the normal folks. You know, I, you know, I'm not a career politician. You ask about why you know decided to run. Um, what folks don't understand is it takes an on average 2.3 cycles to take a rural district like I have and swing it from a, a heavy Democrat to a Republican district. And what's really crazy is last cycle. Nancy Pelosi spent $6.2 million against me personally in the first congressional district. We've never had that kind of money spent here for a congressional race in, in North Carolina, for that matter. And that's because they knew I was a true threat and I was going to make sure I hold them accountable. You know, when we make these folks promises, we need to keep them. Yeah, and that's the thing. You you had so much great FaceTime with President Trump as he was around stumping for some of the candidates who were obviously well-received and loved throughout the course of the midterm cycle and then definitely at the rallies as well as we extensively covered and had you on. It's just a shame. I, th I think to see people like yourself, J.R. Majewski, who's a regular guest on the show, people like Joe Kent up in Washington who are getting back into these races and saying this is the time where we have to really – you know, buckle down and, and get ourselves over the finish line right here to add some of these people. The freshman class right now up on Capitol Hill is some of the finest congressmen and women that we've had in a long time, but it, they're in such a small number right now. We really need to, you know, again, I, I keep reiterating it, but get more people in there who's going to push the America first agenda, especially with the perspectives of Donald Trump being the president again in 2025. Absolutely. And see, this is something that's really interesting about the first the, the uh, congressional districts here in the first district. A lot of folks don't remember that on the 11th hour, the North Carolina Supreme Court uh, decided to change our districts and had their special masters gerrymander districts um, here in North Carolina. And when we took back control of the Supreme Court in November, the Republican uh, judges re-looked at the case and says, you know what, we erred. And that is why we are actually in the process of redrawing these districts, because had I won in the original maps that were proposed, that were voted on by our legislature, I would be a sitting congresswoman right now. And matter of fact, like I said, the amount of money that Nancy Pelosi spent on me, I still overperformed in this district by almost four points, something historic. And we know now that we're getting new maps that this is our race and this is our time. And that is why it's so important to get true America first people up there. We're going to have a lot of these copycat wannabe fakers. You know what I'm saying? That that scream one thing and the minute they get up there, they do the exact opposite. We cannot let that happen. You know, I've I've basically been in the trenches. I haven't, I haven't hopped from this race to that race. I've stayed here focused and working for the people. Oh, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. What I think you're alluding to is people like, you know, you have Mike Lawler from New York. You have John Duarte out from California who campaigned on America First. They even accepted things like Donald Trump endorsements. Then they get up to Capitol Hill, and as soon as things don't go the right way for their, you know, the person that funds their campaigns, Kevin McCarthy, and he has the motion to vacate, now they go on TV throughout the course of the last week and just say they're part of the 
always Kevin caucus and, and, you know, just continue to disrupt the process. And Sandy, you know, when you see the way the motion to vacate played out and the fact now that it's probably going to be a head to head matchup between Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, we've seen a lot of America first, probably the 35 to 40 congressmen and women come on this show have overwhelmingly. I think there might be two who haven't endorsed Jim Jordan yet. We had a uh, representative Alex Moody from West Virginia on this morning, as well as a, a staunch supporter of president Trump and someone who's endorsed Jim Jordan as well. Do you think that that would be a vote you'd be making if you were up there in the congressional conference today i'm I'm gonna say this that we need someone who's gonna keep the promises they make to the people promises made promises kept that was president trump's campaign slogan in 2022 and you know what we we the people have seen too many promises not kept so we need to look at both of the people that are running and see who is going to serve the people the best and, and fulfill the promises you know we talk about the j6 prisoners we talk about the j6 tapes if they if you're going to promise that you better deliver it because the people are tired of the biden regime not ha- being held accountable and they're running rampant i mean what on earth gives joe biden uh the idea that he should can uh, that he should put a lid on uh everything two for two days in a row when we have the world on fire i mean it's absolutely crazy no it is and you know he just delivered like a minute and 30 30- uh, seconds worth of remarks before we jumped in here with you today. And basically he alluded to the fact that they're going to provide aid and whatever kind of support they can for Israel. But at the same time, they're activating DHS and the FBI to investigate domestically things that could not be, uh, they didn't really point it out as like, they're looking for like uh sympathizers of Hamas. He pointed out basically like, you know, if we're watching you, we're going to continue to bug you. And I really didn't think it was in good taste, but then again, when you want, uh, you know, something that embodies strength, we're not really going to get it with Joe Biden. And I think that's a a really good point that you make as well. I do want to kind of touch on, you know, the tragedy of the uh, Hamas invasion into Israel over the weekend and the fact that Israel is still getting ready to uh, strike back. They they technically haven't yet. I mean, the missile strikes are one thing, but if you listen to the president of Israel and obviously uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu over the course of the last couple of days and the defense minister, there's going to be a large-scale operation there, one that, you know, Congress is going to have to, in some context, support. I know we're sending at least two uh, aircraft carrier strike groups over there. In addition to that, we're going to be providing them with a lot of logistical and uh, you know military support as well. Not boots on the ground, but obviously ammo and munitions and things of that nature. When you get up to Congress and you see tragedies like this unfold the way it did over the weekend and the fact that it was an absolute massacre to say the least, how much of an urgency level is there for Congress to figure out what they're doing with the Speaker of the House vote right now and get back to work so we can get things like this appropriated and funded? Well, it's extremely important that we get back to work. Matter of fact, we should have stayed working last week. We need to get this done. I mean, we've got a southern border that is wide open. And, you know, it's horrific what has happened over in Israel you know, we are seeing just just grotesque um, things. I mean, Hamas is just horrific and they they need to be removed from the face of the earth, honestly, um, you know, because they're 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 attacking innocent women, yep. innocent children, unarmed men. It's disgusting. And but the thing is, this should be a red alarm fire for us here in the states here. We have a wide open border. We have folks coming across that southern border unchecked. We don't know who they are. We already know. We already know we have terrorist cells here in the United States, and they are just waiting for the go-ahead to go. And so we better take some action before we have another 9-11 issue here in the States. And that starts by immediately closing that in that border and stopping the influx of these invaders, period. 
That's the truth. President Trump has been alluding to that throughout the course of his speaking events in Iowa and New Hampshire over the weekend and to start the week. You know, you also have right now where the complete ineptity of the the Biden administration, you've got, uh, there was just a press conference in the last couple of minutes of, uh, I guess there was like half a dozen families who have been able to confirm that their sons or daughters were taken hostage and brought back to Gaza. And the Biden administration is yet to confirm that there's any hostages in general and put a number on it. And, and they're begging them to help out and said they've heard nothing from them. So I think leadership is at an all-time low right now. Sandy, I think the way, you know, we were able to track you throughout the 2022 cycle and now heading into 24, you obviously bring a lot of those leadership qualities we need up in Capitol Hill to the table. We want to continue to do whatever we can to not only support your campaign, but eventually, you know, the fact that you're going to become a congresswoman next year. And uh, we're going to live link your congressional website and campaign website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and, and wants to check you out and continue to support you, where can they do so? They can go on all social media platforms and my handle is Sandy Smith NC. And then my website is sandysmithnc.com. Go on there, click that little donate button. If you can throw five bucks in, that gets me a yard sign. If you can send a couple more, I can get some radio ads on some of your podcast things and things of that nature. So we appreciate the support. This is gonna take a team effort and God bless you both for everything you do for us and getting our America First message out there. No, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Obviously, we're going to be having you back a bunch of times before the election. You're out there fighting for families, farmers, veterans, and America first. This is the candidate who's running an NC1. Miss Sandy Smith, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. Well, it was a lot of work, but we nailed it. What do you think, Noah? Nailed it. You ready to go 24-7 news apparatus? Yeah, Kevin. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 200 other 80 editions of the show. If we made t-shirts, I would make a Fuck Kevin Steak for Breakfast t-shirt. I like it. But we don't make t-shirts. And we never will. Make sure you're following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Make sure they're downloading. Helps us out big time. Also, across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit that notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. West Virginia Representative Alex Mooney, Sean Parnell, Gavin Wax, Mayor Trent Staggs, and Sandy Smith. They definitely helped make steak great again. And guys, don't worry. It's going to be a busy week, but we'll be able to recap it all on Friday. And we've got a great slate of guests lined up there as well. Heritage Foundation text policy expert Jake Denton will be here. Nice. Nevada senatorial candidate Dr. Jeff Gunter will be joining us as well. Mm-hmm. Dan O'Shea, who's running for a house seat in Texas, will be here again. Theo Wold's going to stop by, and we'll do a little bit of the news with our great friend, none other than Mr. Jim Nell. So on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. Fuck Kevin. What a fucking bitch, am I right? <laughs> no, you're not right. He's not being a bitch. He's completely right. He's motherfucking peanut butter and jealous. He's not jealous. He's putting KY jealous all over his dick. What is there to be jealous of? Fuck is hate us because they ain't us. They hate us because we ain't us? The fuck does an ain't us have to do with they this? They hate us because they ain't us. That's not what it is. Yes, it is. No, it's not. They hate us because we is us, and what we is doing is fucking terrible. They fucking hate us because they ain't Stop us. Stop saying that. Hate us because they ain't us. They don't hate us because they, they ain't us. They don't hate us because they ain't us. I'm used to it. They hate us because they ain't us. Stop it. Don't say it again. Maybe. Haters gonna hate.
An ainer's gonna ain't. That is not an actual thing people say. This is what you do to haters. You just smile. Fuck balls dick. Liquor. Hate us because the anus. <laughs>